When you hear the trippy music. Yeah, it's, it's what's 14 threes now. Hey, when it's two o'clock, you know what time it is. Hear the trippy music. You know something's happening at Mutiny Radio. That's right. It's time you're tuned in for Some Call Me Tim. I never time it out right. Tim. One more time. Tim. There it is. There it is. Some call me Tim here. I have special guest, David Stolowitz. I'm really excited that he's here because he can explain the art project to me. Uh, we're here on Some Call Me Tim and we talk about belief. Yay, I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. Woo-hoo. We look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus and ask David Stolowitz, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I do. You do? Yeah. I mean, he's in heaven. He has been for thousands of years, but he lives on in people's hearts and that's what matters. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he definitely exists in people's hearts. That's... That's what they say. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to accept them into our heart. Yeah. And your heart is like a little apartment with very expensive rent. <laughs> tiny, tiny San Francisco apartment. <laughs> Knock and the door shall be open to you. No, no, it won't. You're getting evicted. <laughs> Bye, Jesus. Get out of my heart. So um, tell me about the art that's here. Right now we have this really great, uh, it's called Snake Church is the name of the art installation okay and i was told that they were all depictions of like lucifer and beelzebub and all these kinds of things well lucifer and beelzebub are are two demons out of many and then around here these are uh they're not the devil i thought that beelzebub and and lucifer well well, the devil's got a whole hierarchy you know oh so there's like a a different demon for each sin and yeah in a, a collective sense they're all the devil it's all ego but like each demon represents a specific vice trauma hang up I know. remember this from the amazing book that you bought for me the mouth the the hammer of the witches yeah the, that there were all the cute little drawings of all the different <laughs> little guys and, and I really yeah, that liked was some great art yeah and uh, so they're all like just like the angels there are a hierarchy of devils mm-hmm. of demons yeah like the mob or the mafia yeah right yeah. Well, but just like in heaven he it supposedly has the cherubims and the seraphims and the yeah, like and God a lot has of them are fallen pliers. angels that used to be, you know, high and, and but mighty. That, that stuff's not from the Bible. What, where did this mythology come from? Like, because Christians believe in angels and all that stuff, but that doesn't come from the Bible. So, where are these other texts that are giving us these hierarchies of angels and demons? It was developed in medieval theology. And uh, a lot of it is based out of folk religion mm. and then uh, eschatology. So there, there are a few e- examples of specific angels and demons in the Bible, but there's only like two or three usually. Right, the angel that visits Mary and rapes her, touches her on the, gives her God's seed. That's one of the angels. Angels come to uh, Lot's house for before Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, they toasted him. So yeah, with with Mary, there was a, a conspiracy theory being spread around the time Christianity was taking off that uh, Mary was raped by a Roman soldier, and his name was Pantera. That's where the band name <gasps> comes from. So cool, the Pantera. <laughs> and you know, if he you was think about it, by a Roman soldier. Yeah. Now here's the miracle. 
What if, like, St. Joseph knew that and decided to raise the kid as his own anyway? That's a miracle. Yeah. Especially in, like, those... Usually, what, you just stone the woman to death Well, that was the thing. Because, you know, um, she was in danger of that. Because she had been in a, a priestly family, so she was expected to be pure, especially for their husband. Wow, but rape isn't her role. Yeah, so he, he could have accused her publicly of, you know, being a whore and seeing her stoned to death. But he had a dream where his angel told him... no keep the kid wow. yeah that's cool yeah wow that's really that's really progressive but that's the weirdest thing that we would turn a, a sort of true thing that happened and turn it into such a crazy myth why not hail joseph as like how amazing what a miracle yeah that he chose not to to respect his wife as a person that is miraculous it's you know, pretty miraculous that's pretty in those saintly. times yeah yeah because <laughs> women were you know chattel they were owner it was like you that you, you came with a little box if you know your your dad gave you a couple cows and you get sold to the next family woohoo go with babies well they better be some good cows yeah right <laughs> i mean marriage is a is a contract and not necessarily a hasn't been valued as a... I mean, monogamy, why did we bring that? Like, I've, I've been reading Marxism and they talk a lot about monogamy and how that took uh, women's like ability to own their own labor of production since you produce the baby. and But then it goes patrilineally, so the mother has a baby and yet it's the husband's property. So that suddenly, instead of it being like, look, I made a baby, this is mine, it goes with and receives the inheritance of the, ma- the male side yeah and that's just funny to me that we just like we just give give men the means of production here i just there it is it's yours now yay thanks for taking care of me Woo-hoo! oh well it doesn't sound like you gave it up willingly <laughs> right no I mean, i'm not gonna have a baby but no yeah i mean the the patriarchy ever since the the bronze age you know when uh big armies and you know sharp weapons got big and uh men you know saw themselves as conquerors and dominators you know domine that that's the latin word for the oh, lord yeah yeah domine <gasps> you know what's interesting too is that the occult has been lamba- lambasted uh mm-hmm. because witchcraft and if you look back at the 1500s when all these women were being accused of witches being witches you can actually see that some of them their fathers died and they didn't have a brother and that land was their land but then oh you don't have a husband you must be a witch we're gonna kill you and take your land away yeah women were scapegoated a lot of a lot of it was a land grab because they were moving from a feudal system into ownership of land Mm -hmm. and so rather than value the woman as equal they're like she's a witch take away her land yeah very much so have you ever listened to Aaron Menke's lore podcast or seen it on uh, Amazon Prime so he he investigates these a lot and uh, one of the things is like he gets into the fairy myths in Ireland and how uh, like sometimes people were believed to have been replaced by uh, changelings so like if a woman got too uppity and her husband was feeling like insecure then maybe she's not her maybe it's a changeling who's taking her place because my wife would behave herself right because yeah. <laughs> usually i just slap my wife in the mouth and she shuts up but this time yeah maybe she fought back and so there was a, a horror story you know where this prominent guy you know he, he got to the point where he like 
killed his wife because he was convinced that she was this evil creature that had replaced her and you know she became wow. um you know a, a, a fairy story almost like a popular song the kids would sing about <gasps> wow yeah it's just the how we use religion to subjugate yeah. are you a witch anyway. are you a fairy are you the wife of michael clary oh yeah. wow <laughs> what <laughs> don't don't have thoughts of your own so what is your you you've studied a lot of the occult like mm-hmm. and when did you get into that were you was this something that you've always sort of fascinated you or were you rebelling against other Bit of both because like you know i i got kind of forced into religion because of homophobia and uh it's like people gaslighted me from a young age and i think that's become a a standard thing in our culture is uh you know if you do think independently or you make a, a untimely observation everybody accuses you of being proud they're like oh you're you don't have a valid point you're you're just an upstart you know you you don't respect you know the status quo the status quo so it must be because you're a proud vain arrogant person because nobody would ever question us unless they had dark motives oh yeah, so i got that a lot as a kid and you except know, if you were raised in religion and you're you're feeling a way that's you're I mean, there's a lot of homophobia in Christianity. It's mm-hmm. pretty bad. And it's like, you as a person are bad and wrong and sinful. And it's like, ah. Yeah. Well, the, it was used can't be me. for control that way. But it hasn't always been that way. And the, the, there hasn't always been an obsession with sin. Like, originally, it just meant making mistakes. Literally, mm-hmm. it means missing the mark. The Hebrew word is comes from archery. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, See. you missed your arrow. Big deal. God's forgiving. But sure. you got to just acknowledge, figure out what you did wrong, and then move on. Because right. it's the living God. The idea is God is life. Life goes on. So you get hung up on anything. They say you get stuck in the cleep of the shells. So just like, you know, seeds and grow into plants and plants shed fruit and shells. If you're hung up on the shells, you're hung up on dead stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Sure. Wow. So, we use the concept of sin for just control. Well, in a way, it's like getting obsessed with mistakes and not forgiving people or making a huge deal out of it. That is a form of pride. Uh, Because then, you know, it it turns it into this big fact. Oh, my God, I'm so sinful. Nobody's ever been as sinful as I have. Let me tell you. You know, it's it's a new form of one-upmanship. Well, I, I have such a weird feeling... Because I feel like the biggest sin would be killing other people, yet we put people in the military and we have them kill people. But then if someone kills someone not in the military, then they go to jail for 45 years, even if there's all these extenuating circumstances. The state has a monopoly on violence, yes. Right, the state. That's a really great way to put it. The state has a monopoly on violence. Mm -hmm. It's just so funny because it's like, in this context, it's a sin. But in And you're going to jail forever. You're going to jail till you're dead because you're a bad person because you killed this other person. But then in other contexts, it's, you really need to kill all those people. Yeah. And, And, I mean, hey... I think that murdering an, a, a woman or child who's not fighting you in a wartime situation is maybe worse than killing a rival drug dealer that mm-hmm. that shot you. Maybe? Yeah, but you recognize that like not all killing is necessarily evil. And I, w- I would want to say that, but 
is, I mean, that's against sort of the basic morals that I've been like taught. But that's the thing too. That's why, like, I don't think abortion is like murdering little babies. I'm Mm -hmm. like, they're not babies yet. It's a life choice and an ability to. So, is it kill? In some instances. Well, it's a good question to ask. An important question. Because I'm not down with I'm not down with capital punishment. Mm -hmm. But. I mean, I guess, are you saying it's it's okay to kill people in self-defense? Yeah, I think so. You know, if it's your life or theirs, you have a right to defend yourself. You can still go to jail for it, though. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So you can still be punished for a sin that you didn't necessarily commit. Or they say that killing at all, killing is always a sin. Therefore, if you do it in any context, except... I mean, there's all those strange loopholes. I don't know. Give me an example. Well, there of are. I mean, and I think it's like... Our species, we, we do have violence as a part of us. That's an evolutionary fact, especially with men, with all the testosterone running through our veins. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's like men men don't kill without guilt, Pam. So, like, you know, there is such a thing as blood guilt, and the Bible talks about that, you know, and the myths going back to the beginning to explain that. So it's, it's, it's there to have a natural uh, revulsion like they've done studies where even if you can fully train an army and get them ready it's still not the same thing as actually killing a human being who's right in front of you you know and when it comes down to it a lot of people won't pull the trigger and you know uh, generals anticipate this and they know that a certain number of people just don't have the stomach for it or they'll have to be forced into it or they'll try to do everything else first so it doesn't come easy and then when you do it traumatizes you because you're always haunted by the memories and the awareness that you ended life unless you make peace with that. Oof. Yeah. So it's heavy. It doesn't How come does lightly. one make peace with that? Is there, I mean, is it that we train people with video games to kill and not let it affect them and then you can translate that to real well, life? Well, we've tried to escape with that. Um, but there's no getting away from it. Like, even if you're killing somebody from uh, an aircraft or a base far away where you're just pressing a button, you st- it's still, you, you can't dehumanize them to the point where you don't recognize it. I mean, you, you can try, but you repress it and then you get PTSD and all sorts of horrors. Right. Yeah. Sure. So, give me an example when you think killing is... Like, oh, okay, that was just if someone's attacking you, like... Oh, I, I killed to defend my boyfriend in a heartbeat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Um, there was a tweaker that came around the time of the election, and he had driven up into our property, convinced <gasps> that it was his. Interesting. And he had just stormed in and started yelling at my boyfriend, like, what are you doing on my land and all this other shit? Wow. You know, I would have killed the motherfucker if he touched him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know, that that's hostile aggression and stuff, but it's defending what you love, and that's what it's about. So uh. it's like, um, a lot of people question the motives of the guys that go into the military. Not everybody has solid motives, and some people have mixed stuff. But also, they develop a genuine love for each other, and they do care about the country enough to fight for it. And it's like, when they get home, 
nobody likes soldiers when they're coming back. Right. Yeah. So it's like we they get all excited. They used to tie a yellow ribbon around. Yeah, we, we cheer them when they're going out because that's all. That that's the cool side of war. Oh, it's so glorious, you know. And then they come back with the reality and the horrors. They may or may not have won. You know, they have injuries, scars inside and out. They sure. help housing, food, clothing, and all of it. Yeah, help mental like, health. Oh, help. Well, well, this isn't nearly as fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could have five dollars off at IHOP. How about that? Ah! <laughs> yeah. IHOP is a sin. That's that's, that's the, one of the worst sins you can commit. It's, yeah. You think it's gonna be. You think it's gonna be one way. And then it's another. It's like getting it's like getting the breakfast platter at McDonald's. You you look at those hotcakes and you think this is and then they're just they never are. They they never are with it's like eating it's like eating a plastic pancake. It's like people that buy frozen pancakes and put them in the toaster. It's like That's the stoner thing to do, yeah. That's I mean just make the pancakes, buy the biscuit, make them fresh. Why would you I don't know. I find that to be a sin as well. Yeah. So, um, what's your favorite piece of art? Can you tell us that what's in you right now? What's explain the chair? Explain the chair to me. The, the chair, chair and the there's one with a chair, and then it's it's got it's on the little over it's in between the lady and the the chair the 3D piece. Oh, the one that's out. Yeah. Huh. Does, what does that have to do with? It's like a dec- it's like a chair that looks all Mold. decrepit, molded chair. Falling apart, yeah. Um, decay, corruption. Oh. Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, as your your heart and your mind and your soul and the carrier you and or your spirit take of it. Yeah. You know, if that goes to hell, then so does your life with it. Ah. Yeah. So it's like if you get into a, a position of power and let's say that you had uh, a daddy that traumatized you mm. or you have a need to be recognized to prove it to yourself or um, you know, you're you're a greedy person, maybe you have a, a drug you're obsessed about, whatever. Mm. So that that starts affecting your decision making, your actions, and that starts, you know, hurting other people. Right. Yeah. And the precept of the precept of Satan of, of the occult is to do no harm? Or is it not necessarily is it that you can do whatever you want as long as you don't as long as it doesn't hurt other people? Okay, so <coughs> Wicca you know, which is basically a, a new age feminist religion from the fifties with uh, Masonic roots, um, ah. it has that principle that you know, and you harm none, do what you will. Ah, uh, that's what I've heard. That before. that that's um, it's a simple ethical system. Uh, so I would argue that you know sometimes it's a little too simple, <laughs> oh. but also it's like older people didn't share that, so like uh, people would use magic for war. Or, you know, even cursing people. And they had their own justifications for it or not. But, you know, it's just like a form of violence, whether you're directly or passively aggressive. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, can you tell us the three things about the occult that are most misunderstood or that are characterized negatively for no reason? What are, like, three... I, I mean... I think goats are delicious, and I think that it was, I think that like this whole goats are bad thing, and that goats are Satan's, it's like, that was just to get people to eat more lamb, because uh, goat is tasty. Yeah, it can be. Um, so in the Middle East, um, shepherds had uh, flocks of sheep and, and uh, you know herds of goat, and they behave very differently. Oh. And they spent all their time with them, too, and... Uh, 
the sheep would usually be more docile and passive and go along with things, you know, right up to the point where you slit their neck. Jesus was the lamb. Yeah, the lamb of God. That's the the uh, the picture that comes out of, you know, that agrarian farming culture and the goats you know they're super horny they eat everything <laughs> you know they butt you um they like to hang out in rocky places and it's uh, hard to keep them together because yeah, they like to be in weird places sure literally a different beast so it, it became the imagery for like you know the the sheep are like the right hand path people who want to do god's will obediently even to the point of death and you know the goats are the left hand path people the hellfire club who are just mm. always going to raise hell no matter what you do for them sure sure because that's their nature right yeah wow and so we've God, I think it's just a big smear campaign. It's just that the they, they want they want us to eat more lamb. Got to be. What are some other misconceptions of of the occult? Um, One of them must be that I fucked up on that all occultists are Satanists. Oh, not at all. That no. has nothing. There's the occult is wider than that. Yeah. So, um, like we talk about right and left hand paths, and that's the idea of whether people are going in aimed at. Um, their personal self or others as a whole, whether they're they're looking into the nature of good or evil. But Mm -hmm. yeah, all kinds of religious backgrounds. I mean, you you have like pagans who believe in multiple gods. You have Satanists and Luciferians, yes. Uh, Luciferians, I love it. Instead of of Lutherans, we've got Luciferians. (laughs) It's like the opposite. Although I know some Luciferian Lutherans. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) But you also have atheists, you have agnostics, you have devout Jews and Christians who are using it as a form of exorcism. Oh, wow. Yeah. (gasps) That's right, because there are priests that actually do exorcisms still. Yes. Um, And there's a a really modern form of therapy. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So there's, in. I've heard, I've seen some documentaries and stuff about Africa and about Christian religions in Africa Mm -hmm. and that there's a lot of expelling of demons, but then it becomes sort of a money thing and it can turn into a weird sexual thing too when yep, they yep. they say I need to expel your demons and I'm going to do it with my penis. Yes, my magic wand. <laughs> and then <laughs> and parents are paying money to have their children yeah, it becomes be, a racket. Right, it's a racket. I've seen some stuff and I was like, "Oh my god, it's a racket." But isn't all religion a racket? In a sense that as long as you can be talked out of yourself, you deserve to be. As long as you can be talked out of yourself, you deserve to be. Yeah, that's what Alan Watts said. <laughs> that's so. If you believe something really hard and someone changes your mind, then. Um, well, it's more about like where you draw your authority from, and uh, do you see authority as external, coming from an external god or um, you know a, a system or a figurehead? If it's internal, is it coming out of your soul and your your best and highest part, you could say? Or is it coming out of your base instincts and hate and, you know, revenge, neediness, you know, all the, the ugly stuff? Yeah, but why does yeah. neediness have to be ugly? Like, I that's so hard because I, I want to, like, sometimes I feel needy and I acknowledge that or I have a feeling and I've been taught that don't have that feeling. But it's like I actually have needs and sometimes they're unfulfilled and I get bummed about it when my needs aren't fulfilled and and then I'm like oh but I'm being am I being too needy and then I mean that's the right question to ask you know I mean as long as you're in a body you're gonna have needs um 
God, the, the Holy Spirit, is free of need. And so it's like that's why people are able to do things that transcend death and be self-sacrificing. Um, so those those polarities are a spectrum that's inside of you, mm. you know, and you can act on those accordingly. So it's like, you know, if, if we have a, a need for approval, um, might it blind us to some of the approval we actually get? That's, that, wow. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because it's like, this is the thing. Each of those demons out there represents some psychological fuck up. Ah. Okay, so like here, over in your corner there, that's uh, Asmodeus, Ashmedai. Uh, he was worshipped in uh, Persia for a while as a god, um, a, a deva. Um, but also it's like in the Apocrypha, um, God is helping Tobias, and he sends the angel Raphael, who teaches him how to exercise Asmodeus from his poor girlfriend, who's been unable to have kids because it just ruins everything for her. <laughs> well, yeah, that can happen. Yeah, so he goes through a whole ceremony and stuff to help this woman basically heal and become uh, healthy again. And huh. so, so there's a mind-body connection going on that if you're you're traumatized by your childhood, your culture, violence, whatever it is. Is, you know that's going to impact your health and your behavior and everything yeah. so the idea is you know he, those spirits are all like past cultures haunting us you know that's all their their own psychological fuck-ups that are still with us in the modern day and so a healer is supposed to be able to exercise those demons out of people. And, you know, if they can't send them away altogether, or at least control them so their energy is put to something good and productive. Right. Yeah. So, like, I, I was listening to spiritual psychology, and you had a nice session with Renee. I did. I cry all the time. <laughs> she wants me to come back this week, and I'm, like, totally avoiding it because I know that I need therapy, and I just don't want to go. But it's 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 hard stuff to do all that work and, like, deal Yeah, it with. is, but it's harder if you don't <laughs> I don't know I'm more of sort of like an avoidance kind of person where I'm like I'd rather just not deal with it and oh. I just sort of like well then it'll, it it'll pop up I mean you don't have a choice you gotta yeah, deal true. with it sooner or later so you might as well yeah. do it on your terms your home base <laughs> right yeah it's hard I have a I have a vast need for external approval um, okay, well, but you're becoming self-aware, you know? And yeah, that, and I and it's funny because I still, I, I mean, I was raised super really Jesus-y, so I'm like, mm -hmm. I blame Jesus because a lot of a lot of sin is like with Jesus. You can just you can blame it on like, oh, I was I'm so repressed because this is what happened because of my religion. Yeah, and I'll never but be you're old enough, enough like, now to see that's a cop out, right? Well, but the whole like I'll never be good enough thing for me comes from. 18 years of hardcore religion okay. of like, and with the way that my family interacted with and continues to interact with religion is a huge bone of contention for everyone because I'll never be good enough because I'm not living up to, because there are external expectations thrust upon you with Christianity that nobody can live up to. And when you see the hypocrisy happening, then you're like, I can't live up to that. There's like a weird dichotomy. Okay. And, and all of that, like, not knowing how to say that it's my decision or I mean I talked to Jesus all the time he was my imaginary buddy for years and years and that was seen as totally normal like that I talked to a 33 year old dude all the time like that's totally fine <laughs> but is that really what you're talking to a 33 year old guy who looks suspiciously white and just hangs around that's what I was talking to when I was a kid absolutely okay but there was a time when you admired Jesus right 
oh, I always admired Jesus. That was the problem. Until I was 18, I was like, this is it. And I was like, I'll never be good enough. Why? And I pray to Jesus, why does everybody hate me? Why won't I be good enough? I'm not popular enough and nobody likes me. But you you did have people who liked you. You know, you you had to opposition. It's the the hyperbole. But no, there was, I think that because in my own family, I wasn't liked. Okay. That. And that's And my behavior was constantly embarrassing or shameful. Okay. And so all of that. So were you scapegoated in your own family? Scapegoated in my own family. What that. I'm the reason that there's. No, I would. Maybe I scapegoated myself. Possible. I don't know. I don't. Was I. They just. I still like. My life choices will never be good enough for them. And I, you know, and so in because I. And but the thing is, why do you need it? Why do we need approval from our family? Fuck the family! Like what the fuck? Yeah, well, why if we you never like- got it as a kid, you know, there is a a gap in there, and you want to fill that gap. But as an adult, you have to come back to your experience with the adult's perspective, and uh, you know, right, then and you, go back. You and can realize that yeah. you actually do have a lot of love and support in your life, and uh, you know, your parents may never approve of you, but that's. That's because they're spiritually sick themselves. Ah, uh, yeah. well, that's an empathetic way to think of it. I try, you yeah. know. Um, it's like what we love about prophets like Jesus or Moses, Muhammad, anybody else, male or female, is a part <laughs> female of Female prophets. Well, yeah, Mary and... Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of Catholic saints that were women too. But uh, the thing is, like, the, those are our own virtues that we're looking at. So uh-huh. we might say, well, I'm not forgiving and self-sacrificing as Jesus is. But if we're appealing to that figure or even just considering it deeply, that that's a part of our own soul we're tapping. What's a, what's a character or a figure that you sort of identify with in the... In the in the world of a cult, is there like a specific like a spirit a sp- or a specific spirit or a specific name to it? Like, um, like any of these little demons out here? Or I'm any not of these them? guys. These these guys took me for a run. <laughs> yeah. These assholes all fucked me over, and they know it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but isn't that is that you acknowledging bad things that happened in your life or giving over to those particular? Were you like following them, or was it just? Well, I the actively idea? called them up. You know, I, oh. I had the. I'd summon them. And what that is, is I I would bring up psychologically my own repressed fears, desires, the, the shut out part of me. Huh. You know, like at, at San Jose State, there's a, a poem and it's kind of famous and the it's carved into the clock tower where he said, you know, I outwitted these guys because I drew a circle that was big enough to include them. Oh. So that's like the the ultimate way to do it is the real the real way you overcome a demon is with love. <laughs> you you welcome him into your life. You don't let him run havoc in it, but it's loving. You're like, "Okay, you're not apart from me. I'm not going to project all my dark side onto you. I'm going to welcome you in, acknowledge you have a, an important place in creation and then see you differently because that's the thing when all these uh summoners would call the demons and they first show up they were really scary and intimidating because you're calling up shit you've been avoiding for years sure but with uh their authority which was symbolized by a magic wand um they would say you know appear in a beautiful and humane form and so just like with Renee uh, turning your pickle into a cat. Right, the pickle deck, yeah. It's getting you to see something that you've seen as demonic and bad and wrong and scary and evil as 
a beautiful part of life. Sure. And a part of your own humanity. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that actually worked. That was crazy. I was like, you are a magician. She did some work, too, during the festival. She had a comedian on, and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, it was I just could. I was like, "You're a magician. This is like life." And she's like, "Well, kind of, a little bit." And yeah. I was like, "That's that's incredible." Mm-hmm. And but it's so funny that we're taught that that sort that that stuff's evil or bad or wrong. Well, a lot of the people saying that just don't understand it. They're coming from an outside perspective, and there is a lot of corruption that goes with it because there are people who just go nuts and then they they make their own hells, basically. Right, hell is other people, Jean-Paul Sartre. <laughs> yeah, and that that story, um, no escape, you know. Right, right. Yeah, no exit. Stuck, yeah, yeah, no yeah. Exit. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I directed that once. It was really, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's intense, yeah. you know. And there's a good point in that. So. Um, it's about our own humanity, like like Mr. Sparks is always saying, humans, humans listen! <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to see ourselves as fallible and the same as other people because of the vulnerability that goes with it. But I love that because it's such a simple message. But, you know, we look at all the comedians in our scene and, you know, with all our vices and virtues and we're all trying to accomplish something. We're like a big dysfunctional family. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, a magician, a shaman or a goas in Greek, that's where Goetia comes from. Uh, literally, it means a howler. Somebody who would run off to the night and deal with their dark side. Wow. Yeah. We got a caller? We're, I'm going to check and see who it is. We have okay. we have a call waiting. It's. I mean, I bet it's sweet at home. We don't want to talk to her. <laughs> um, no offense, sweet girl. She doesn't listen to the program, so. She doesn't listen, period. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's like I can't, I'm too blind to be able to see what the call waiting is. That's, that's lame, Pam. St. Francis. Yes, it is her. Okay. It's her. We're not going to answer it. Sorry, sweet gal. Yeah, she's um, she's in a home now. It's actually quite sad. Okay. And I, I but I just we don't we don't need to talk to her. Loneliness is a real issue these days. You know, social scientists have been studying it and talking about the harmful effects, like on your physical health, your longevity. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of lack of human contact. Lack of meaningful human contact. Because we have so much contact now. It's everywhere. Yeah, but that, that's like connectivity. Like, right. you know, we're not making a deep connection as a person, especially with a screen in front of it that dehumanizes. Right, somebody. right, right. Yeah. So we never got back to the three big misconceptions. One, goats are bad. Two, <laughs> every, every occultist is a Satanist. Not yeah. true. What's another, like, misconception about... Um, about the what magic is, I would say. Oh. So, and a lot of people have this. Harry Potter. To it. Yeah, and Harry Potter, for all it, it's, it has a lot of philosophy in it. And that's why it was a successful franchise. It touched people on a deeper level. Sure. You know, classic themes about good and evil and faith, dealing with suffering and oppression. Um, and shitty families. Yes. Yeah. Very it's much all so, there. Honestly. Yeah. And nice families. Yeah. And the Weasleys are great. You know? So it's like a lot of people get into the occult and they're, they're power hungry at first. They're like, I, I, I want to have some control and power in my life. And that's not a bad thing in itself because we all have different domains of our life that need help. So in the, the old world, it was represented by the seven planets. And that's popularized in Game of Thrones. You know, as the the heptad, the the seven gods of the seven kingdoms. Sure, sure, sure. You know that. You know the Earth. You no, know, uh, Mars, Venus, Mercury, Saturn, Jupiter, 
and uh, the moon and the sun, yeah. All right. Yeah, so those are all like domains of human life. Uh, farming, war, um, having children and a family, agriculture, mining. And, you know, there's modern analogs too. But people would learn life skills with these systems because what they would do is they use their performative art to evoke the spirit out of themselves that they needed. Huh. So it's like, say I don't know anything about how to be a warrior and I'm about to get shipped off to war. Ah, then you evoke the spirit of the warrior. Yeah, and so how do I do that? Um, I get together a bunch of things that correspond to martial stuff that puts me in the warrior mood. Then I, I call up the spirit in a, a, a ceremony and a rite that's psychologically effective. And then the spirit I need to succeed begins to come through me because it puts my mind in that direction. Huh. Yeah. So magic is really just us having their own, it's, it's manipulating our own power. Yeah, and it's like we're not separate from the world. That's the big illusion. Um, and so saying the devil is a figure of alienation. And, uh, you know, he feels like he knows better than God. He didn't get the, the praise or the credit he deserves. He's so pretentious he's, as fuck. Yeah. So he's that that's Lucifer. It's pride. That's the, the idea. And, uh, you know, there's different reasons for that. But, you know, people cut themselves off from the rest of the species. And then, you know, they, they behave as if. You know, I could hurt you and not hurt myself. Mm. Yeah. And it's all great in theory. In practice, you got to deal with all your own emotions and stuff. Yeah. I, I always have trouble with the concept that I think people think they're doing right all the time. When, when I look at, say, our president, and I, I think that he thinks he's doing the right thing. And when people are like anti-abortionist or whatever, they, they think that they're doing right and it's so funny to me that someone else's right is my wrong like that we can be so diametrically opposed as people in what we think feel and value as sins yeah well it's like we have our intentions and the reasons we get into things and then we have very different uh, ideas uh, of how to act on those and what the right things to do are and policies which you, you can't ever make anybody happy but honestly, I don't think Trump thinks he's doing the right thing. Really? I, I think his conscience is really pricking him, and that's why he's miserable. Really? Yeah, he's got a soul, believe it or not. You think so? Oh, I know so. Because uh, everyone has a soul. Everyone does. I mean, you can ignore it at your peril, but that's what happens is if you die and you've wasted your life and suddenly you you have the, the perspective of not being in a body anymore, then you're stuck with the consequences of all your actions. So you believe in an afterlife? I do, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What's your afterlife like? Uh, space, uh, the fruits of your labors. If I've lived my life well, you know, I'll, I'll get to see my legacy. So you just float up in space and look down. Uh, I don't know. It's like you've, you've done psychedelics before, so you know it's not like to go on a good trip yeah. and look at things from lots of different angles and perspectives. You know, mm -hmm. that that's, that that's imagine just being a pure spirit where, you know, you could shift into any mode or aspect of consciousness to look at things from all angles. Huh. So I think, you know, you review your life after it's over. And then, you know, you get as much mercy as you can and you move on to whatever next form of life you're going to be or inhabit. So you're sort of like a, re you leave sort of in reincarnation. Yeah, well, uh, Kabbalistic Jews do. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, that's actually... A th- I mean, they don't want to make a big fetish out of it like some people do. And that's why it get, doesn't get talked about as much. But even there was a, a Christian thread of this. Like, they talked about uh, John the Baptist reincarnating Elijah. Oh. Yeah. And uh, similar with Jesus and stuff. I mean, e- even his name wasn't original. It's just Joshua, basically. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, it's like when, when you bring back somebody's spirit you bring them back again. So everybody's like, oh, when is Jesus going to come back? When you start being Christ-like. Oh. <laughs> you <know? laughs> because you can, you're, you can be your own Jesus. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it as I'm a separate person trying to do this all on my own, then it becomes an, an ego trip. Mm. But, you know, if you're flowing with the world and life and the universe, then God is living in you and you're aware of the, of your spiritual dimension and mm. you act on that as such. So um, it, it depends what place it's coming from. And that's what uh, a lot of these traditions are about is teaching discernment. When you pray or you uh, meditate, you look at your motivations. Sure. And, and you try to be honest with, I mean, the very ideal, honest, yeah. the ideal is to be honest mm-hmm. with them. So th- this magic mirror and all the smoke in front of it, you know, can you look through that? Um, you know, when people would summon demons, they do it in a dark mirror because they're looking at their dark side. When they called <laughs> angels, they do it in a crystal because you can see how it's connected to all the rest of life and your dreams and the universe. Gotcha. Yeah. What's your? Do you have a? Do you have a favorite piece that's out there? Have you looked at them all? Uh, Give yeah, them a quick I, glance. It's creative. I mean, somebody's definitely working out their issues. <laughs> <laughs> I like the one with all the knives at the top. With the, uh, it's like a dog creature with things. It's, it's the big one. It's that that the biggest one. Yeah. Oh, the big painting. The yeah. big painting. Ouch, yeah. yeah. That's like wow. Have you ever seen the Hellraiser movies? Yeah, Pinhead. Oh, God, yeah. So sadomasochism and uh, the point that, like, you know, if you go all the way to the extreme end of pleasure, you'll come out onto the other side of pain. Interesting. Yeah, and how thin the barrier can be sometimes. Like, my my favorite Hellraiser movie was the one about the cop. It was, like, the fifth one. (laughs) And uh, actually, there were a couple with cops. But this one, it's like he's tracking down this mystery killer, but it's really him, and he's hiding it from himself. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So what happens is like there's a scene in the middle of the movie where like he thinks that he's it's been like 16 years. So spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Yeah. um, Hellraiser 12. So there's this kidnapped child and like the 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 monster kidnapper is cutting off his fingers one (gasps) by one and sending it, you know, to the cop. And he sees finally that the child is him. He's cutting off his own fingers? So what he is doing is destroying his inner child bit by bit. Oh. So like a child represents purity. You know, we come into the world fresh. We're optimists. We're full of joy and energy. And he's replacing that innocent child in him with a, a monster, you know, uh. a serial killer, a sadist. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he's cu- he's cutting off his own soul is right. what he's doing. Sure. So that he can kill other people. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you face that, like... Yeah, because you have to deal with the consequences. This is crazy. I had a dream not too long ago, and it seemed so real, and I was really nervous in this dream. I had killed someone. In the dream, I didn't actually kill them. I just know that I killed them, and I hid them underneath these stairs, 
And I was super worried because I'm like, they're going to start to smell and I have to deal with this and I don't know how to deal with it. And I know they're under the stairs Mm. and I knew there was a dead body under the stairs and it was really real. When I woke up, I was like, did I kill someone and hide them under the stairs? Like it was weird. And I'm, and then I started thinking, oh fuck, why am I having dreams about I've killed somebody? That's wow. I mean, and the thing is, in real life, I'm such a such a coward. If I killed anybody, the first thing I would do is go to the police and be like, I think I did. Well, that's not a cowardly thing to do. Oh. I was like, <laughs> the first thing. Because I'm sure that if I killed... So the, the only time I've ever fantasized about killing someone is there was a guy who was stalking me for a while. Yeah. And um, it was at the time I used to skateboard, so I always carried my skateboard around. And it was something that I wanted to ask the cops, but I didn't. And I tried to look it up online, and then I was worried that they were going to like see my search engine. But like... If he accosted me in a dark alley, I'd hit him with the fucking... I mean, it never happened, but I always thought, okay, uh, this is something I should be prepared for. Mm-hmm. If he accosted me in a dark alley and I hit him in the head with a skateboard multiple times, I could kill him. Yes. If I do that, do I immediately go to the police and say what I did? Or do I just not? Do I just go away? And then am I going to get in trouble? Are they going to figure out that it was me? And then I'm really going to be in trouble. Well, or self-defense is legal. You know, you are protected if you're assaulted. Um, so you can go to the police. And I think that's just the wise thing to do if you're in a situation like that. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to feel the shakes and stuff about it because you shouldn't kill people lightly. And, you know, your blood knows that. It's another human being. It's not just like killing a chicken or something. Right. right. So, I still, I couldn't kill a chicken either. Yeah. I mean, but, I could, no way. So I, I doubt that you've probably killed anybody, although you no, are I, around blackout drunk sometimes and worry me. <laughs> I, I would never kill um, anybody. What's more likely is there's a part of yourself you've killed. Oh, that's some good dream interpretation. Yeah, uh, maybe a, a thing you've repressed or, or you've been ashamed of. You, you put it away in the I'm back the room. one that's dead under the stairs. Yeah, so um, house symbolism usually, like the attic is your, your mind, your your upper part where you're, you're processing things on a high level. The basement represents subconscious. Yeah, I de- it was definitely under the stairs in the basement. Yeah, yeah. okay. So that's something that's being hidden away and you just got to figure out what it is. What is it? Yeah. yeah. So what you can do with dreams is uh, when you're in between sleep and waking up, the hypnagogic state where you can start to hear the voices and see images, um, try taking control. So like you, you you know about drama and stuff. You can enact that on what we call the astral plane. Uh-huh. So that, that plane of consciousness where you're disconnecting from your normal body-bound type um, life mode. Um, you Subconscious know, is weird shit that we dream and have these strange worlds that we visit. Yeah, that are so, like, but you can interact with yourself. And that, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of magic is about, is learning to deal consciously with unconscious forces. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm hiding something from myself under the stairs. Dun, dun, dun. I know. I got to, now I'm like, I got to figure that. But it was, it was such a, it was so real that when I woke up, I was seriously like, I had to shake myself out of it. Like, I haven't killed anybody. There's nobody under the stairs. Yeah. But there's a concern there. So there's some emotions at work and emotion is energy. Oh. Yeah. So it's like we we have the, these two flip sides of love and in the Bible, they're represented with a dove and a serpent. Sure. Yeah. I know about the doves. Yeah. Piece. So the dove is more like the rational, loving, charismatic pigeons. part. Just, they're, just white white pigeons. they're just white pigeons. Basically, they're, very pure pigeons. Yeah, yeah. They're not harbingers of peace. They're just white <laughs> pigeons. It's okay. Like, I live with doves. They're beautiful. Are they delicious? 
Um, yeah, I seen somebody raising them in a cage, so somebody's eating somebody, them. Yeah, they're other like than the Santeros, yeah. <laughs> but the the snaky part is your energy and your passion, and that's not a bad thing in itself. Even Moses, you know, he elevated a snake in the desert to heal people. Well, with. the caduceus is from that. I exactly. mean, the caduceus is two snakes winding around, and that's for yeah, both. and it looks a lot like DNA, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> for veterinary medicine and for for doctor for doctor people medicine. Yeah, so it's caduceus. like all that energy. It, it has a place in the universe it's not evil in itself but it, it has to be uh surrendered to the best part of you you know whether you understand that as god or the buddha you know or a specific prophet you know the, the part that's going to be wise and loving with it you're so wise do you no study? i'm really not <laughs> you are you just i mean but then you really you, then you recall then you've read a lot of material and you're able to recall it and apply it like it's it's like when I was in OCHEM, I, I could never pass OCHEM because I memorized everything. But then when you get to the test, you had to apply it. Mm-hmm. But the class wasn't about applying it. The class was about memorizing it. Okay. And then, and it's the same thing with Christianity. I was taught as a child, I memorized it. Did I really understand everything I was memorizing? Did I know how to apply what I was memorizing? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But you're able to not only, like, it's like you've chewed up the material, put it in your body, and then you can like have access to it and you're like look this is it and this is how i apply it and it's yeah like, and that's from the work amazing. i've done yeah and, and anybody can do that um so. i don't know i don't know how many are people actually thinking and doing this kind of like this is like some serious critical thought about your own life about your surround about yourself in some people do and it pays off um and i think comedy helps us with all this because it gives us perspective and a release of tension so we can step back for a minute get outside of who we think we are i i can stop being oh my god i'm david stolowitz i have to do so good tonight and i have to deal with this and that and all those burdens can just fall away Huh. Yeah, but yeah. Um, just the burdens fall away and you just tell dick jokes. Yeah, so we, we could talk about how childish religion is till the cows come home. Right. And we all know how people abuse it. But is there any good in it? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. And by good in it, you mean like that it positively affects our lives. Exactly. Sure. I know so many, and this is a large generalization, but I know a lot of Christians who are Asian, they're like, super Asian and super Christian. Okay. And they're really, I've had him in here on the show even. They're so kind. Yeah. And so sweet. And they're so just this really sweet, loving people. Yeah, because they had a, a positive experience of it. And yeah. it's crazy to me. And I, and when I was interviewing them, I was just sort of going along with them. And it's because I didn't want to hurt their, they really, really believe in the message and, and Jesus Christ and being like their lives are completely their lives and families and entire social network are all the church and it's not a bad thing it's not yeah and you can see the good in that for yourself yeah so you know how to this is the thing jesus talks about separating chaff from wheat like uh, a farmer does you know with his crops yeah you have to to throw out the bullshit but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. right right (laughs) but then but the thing is that then i think oh they're so deluded then I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's sort of a thing I dream of. Oh, if I could go back, because I was zealotrous about Jesus the way that they were, and they were so happy. And I think at the time when I was younger, I was pretty happy with Jesus. This is, I mean, it was crazy that I, I 
when I, uh, my parents were so religious and I tried to commit suicide when I was 17 and I took a bunch of pills and they oh. took me to the hospital. And when they asked me that the guy, the, the, the uh, it was a woman actually psychiatrist, why did you do it? And my real reason was I just want to be with Jesus. He's the best. Can't wait for heaven. Totally done with this bullshit. High school is really, really hard. Jesus is really, really cool. And they just let me go. It was crazy. I was like, what? These crazy. They didn't even try to put me in therapy. Like, God, you really just. But I was super, super zealous about it. I love Jesus so much. You would think that Jesus is separate from all that. Yeah. Well, well now, and that's the thing. Now I'm like, ugh, it was all just, it was. Jesus is just a metaphorical figure that like embodies these ideas. And, and then I look at the monotheistic religions and that Islam and Judaism and Christianity all came from the same Abrahamic thing. And yet they're fighting each other for years. And like, even now the whole problem with Palestine and Israel and all the different religions in and in Jerusalem. And it's like, Hey friends, you all came from the same place. Like we all came from theory and practice, you know, right? (laughs) And you know, with men, it's like with all this testosterone, it's hard to think straight sometimes. I guess. Yeah, I mean, life is hard. You you've had some hard knocks yourself, so you know that. And uh, you know, we have our ideals. We don't always live up to them, and we don't always even understand them. You know, I, you pick this stuff up as children, and you're passive about it. You're like, oh, mom's making me go to church or whatever, and right. we have to do this thing. And it, it, you, like you said, it's rote memorization. So. The depth has to come as an adult. You have to look at it consciously and say, okay, what was the meaning of this? What, right. what is the purpose? Sure. What was the intention that went into the creation of this? Where did it fall along that's, the line? I, that's how I feel about the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the they they were fallible people, and they did the best they could, and they even said, we're trying the best we can. We, we, we don't know... Except to say, we know we don't know. Right, <laughs> yeah. sure. right. So they left enough space for, you know, you can challenge this. You can revise it. We give you the freedom to do so. Well, it's, that's Socrates, yeah. too, the, the Socratic method. That yeah, and they loved Socrates. They were part of that whole tradition. The Enlightenment was going back into classical Greece and all of it. Right. So the best of Europe was what they were trying to pass along, you know. And, and you know, they had slavery, which was the great hypocrisy. Right, yeah. You and... They had a lot of women slaves, and so mm-hmm. there. And the Greek word for wife um, means it translates to like lead housewife, lead house cleaner, and it's a it's a non gendered. <laughs> it's like a I, I have it in this Marx okay. book I'm reading right now, um, and it's just crazy that and monogamy is tied into that because the wife it was just a contract, and the man could he didn't have to be monogamous it was monogamy only for the wife and but he could have all these slave girls and boys and it didn't matter yeah but the woman the the wife the head house person um had to stay monogamous yeah and it it was it's just easy to blame women for men's problems because all for so much of history men have been alienated from women whether it's their own doing or not they just don't understand they can't relate they know they want to be with them and they love them and they love sex and even kids and the rest of it are pretty fun too but you know it's just the outsider's perspective and the fear of the unknown when i mean i i want to go back to the thing about when you were little and what what was with the the gayness like (laughs) the feeling of Belonging, but not belonging. Is well, I that didn't what? feel like I belonged. I mean, my, 
in my family, there was this underlying, even invisible tension going on between my parents and my grandparents. It was generational conflict. Um, there was also a little religious and cultural conflict, too, because on the outside, you know, it's like my parents love each other. My dad is well-educated. He's making a good living to provide. And so they're going to get married and have kids with parents' blessing. But on the dark side, it's like, oh, my God, he's a Jew. You know, oh. um, he's going to raise his kids a different way. And we don't know if we approve of that and what's happening to the country in California. Uh-huh. And I feel like a lot of times my family would work out their tensions through me. So it's like my grandparents would not challenge my father directly. But whenever I'd visit, they would undermine him and gaslight me and convince, you know, your parents aren't raising you right. They're spoiling you, David. Wow. You know? And you're, you're, you're going to be really weak and unsuccessful unless you adopt our views you know <laughs> grandparents are supposed to be the ones that spoil children that's the whole beauty of grandparents well not scottish grandparents oh, okay. All right. <laughs> they're penny pinchers they're like where's scottish get out in the field and work for your well that's the thing is so they, they prided themselves on their own hard work mm. and also some of that pride and the self-righteousness was a mask for their own alienation, oh. their own bitterness, and their own jealousy, frankly. Because, huh. you know, they'd look at me getting good things in life, and go, well, why did he get it so easy? Oh. Even though, with all this stuff, they never had to deal with homophobia, that was not easy. But that's the thing. We imagine other people's lives are easier. Yeah, sure. And, and in the rich, you know, they don't have less problems, they just have different ones. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because money, money doesn't, money doesn't make us happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to a John Steinbeck book, Tortilla Flat. Oh. It's set in Monterey, and it's talking about these two guys who have been happy, like in the 1920s or 30s, living in ditches and just drinking wine every day, and then like the guy goes off to World War One, he comes back and survives, and he's inherited two tiny little houses from his grandpa, and suddenly he starts worrying because this is going to ruin everything. Now I have to be responsible. He's like, I went to go turn on the water. You know what? They wanted a $3 deposit. You know I could buy three gallons of wine with $3? Wow. It's, um, Steinbeck really wrote interesting things about that. The, my favorite Steinbeck novel is very small, and it's called The Pearl. And it's about capitalism and money and stuff. And it's crazy because they're, on, they're in a fishing village, mm-hmm. and they're in little huts, and... Um, they are their pearl fish. They're going out. They're fishermen, and and the baby gets sick, and so they pray that he's going to find this pearl. And the man goes out in his boat, and he brings back the most beautiful, the huge, most enormous pearl anyone's ever seen. It's priceless. And then the life goes to shit once they've got the money to save the baby, and then the doctor is all corrupt, and then they're running around. They run away, and it's serious. It's more money, more problems, and it's set on this like in this village on like an island where in its and the church is corrupt and everyone's corrupted by money and and the money they finally the, the baby's going to die but they get the pearl and the baby would have survived anyways because of her knowledge of she had sucked out the poison and the baby was going to live anyways Ironic, but then they just get yeah. fucked over they end up getting chased into the mountains with guns and people and they're chasing after this pearl and and they at the end you're just like oh my god just just get rid of the pearl everybody loses everyone loses everything but money because of the corruption of, like, greed and what that does to us. Yeah. And it's like, uh, with all these traditions and stories, 
there there's the imagery of outer stuff like jewels and riches as you know uh, a metal or mm. or you know a, a diamond or something physical like that but also like when they describe spiritual qualities um you know they use that same imagery so people are looking in the outside world for something they have to find inside right yeah like right. uh the city of god in revelations is described as having all these doors that are adorned with specific jewels and there's a jewel for each virtue like uh ruby represents courage and bravery oh. you know but it's like i could go out and and spend a, hundreds of dollars and buy a ruby and hold on to that and that that's pretty but that's not bravery right you know so symbols right and, and people coming to worship the symbols instead of the reality sure yeah well then it's all then it becomes the symbol becomes an idol mm, exactly yeah yeah Oh, I had a question for you about, um, do you believe in crystals? What about witches and their crystals and stuff? <laughs> and like rocks and all that shit? Or are you just like, all right, it's just a symbol. I think gonna... Bowie was right. It's just a crystal, but if you turn it this way, you'll show you your dreams. It's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's a beautiful product of nature that shows that everything is connected. Huh. So like uh, holograms are based on crystals. Radios use crystals. Right. Um, when you run an electric current through a crystal, you get this effect where it compresses and that can generate electricity. So huh. all our technology is based on crystals. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and the way that we see light and color is through prisms. I mean. Yeah. And, you know, in older days, you know, it was a lot harder to find crystals. So something special to hold on to. It reminds you of the best things. And that's one thing uh, a shaman, a mage, a prophet is going to keep in their pouch because it's a symbol of the earth, of uh, divine sovereignty. Is that why we're yeah. so weird about diamonds? Oh God, diamonds! Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I, right? I mean, diamonds are so crazy because it's like, oh my God, I am loved by this dude because I got like a diamond that's so big. Well, and you at can least see four that's babies. Yeah. <laughs> at least four babies lost their little darling limbs. Yeah. So, what does the diamond this. represent? A diamond is forever. Thank you, De Beers. Oh, yeah, because diamonds a, are... A tagline. It's carbon that's so highly condensed that you can't even damage it with most nail files. Right. Yeah. They use it for drills, the diamond bit drills yeah, that so can go through. Yeah, so it's all a symbol of, of deep commitment and the how nothing could shake that. Nothing mm. could scratch it or destroy it, and that being a beautiful thing. Ah. Yeah, so every marriage should have that if they want to survive and be happy and healthy. Sure. That's what, and the ring's a symbol of that. You're, you're stuck to it because you're committed to it and you're part of that circle. Right. Yeah. Do you, you probably have done some weddings. You seem like the kind of guy who's got your, that does weddings for people. No, no you don't have like the little. No, because a lot of this is just talk, you know, and it's been abstract teachings for me a lot of my life. And, you know, I've had to fuck up so many times to realize what does and doesn't work. Mm. And it's easy because I could talk a great game out here and I can still go to a bar, get drunk and make death threats. Are you? Wow. Yeah. Death threats. Are, are you still sober? Ish. Getting, there. getting um, there. I've been getting back into clean comedy, and uh, oh. it's a lot harder. Hell yeah, I know. God. <laughs> there's a lot of great places in the South Bay to practice it, and uh, so far I've only got four clean minutes. Okay. But I'm working my way up, so I'll have a 10-minute clean set. I had to do 15 clean the other day in Martinez, Ah. and I was super stoked, and it was really, really challenging, and it was difficult. 
but I did keep it clean. It's a great accomplishment. And thank yeah. you. And then another one of the comedians, and he knew it was a clean show, got up and just was swearing everywhere. Oh. And I was just like, oh, man. you!" And the owner actually talked to the guy who puts the show together and was like, that was a problem. And I was yeah. like, of course it's going to be a problem. We were they all told to do a clean it, show. Somebody feels like their freedom is being impringed on. You know, God right. forbid you should be courteous around children and the elderly. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it was in, the show was in a wine bar. So it was yeah. like, they didn't want me to do, you know, my bread and yeah. butter. Like, Let's have some cultured intellectual comedy. Yeah, yeah. how about not like, uh, no no hemorrhoid jokes. Uh, we don't have to talk about my butthole. How Thank about that? you, yeah. yeah. it's fine. No, no, my liberty. So... <laughs> What is your what is your set feel like right now being clean? What what, what are your topics? What are well, you, what are you one thing about? I notice is when I'm working with children, I come up with a lot more clean material. Interesting. Yeah, because it, it just flows more naturally. But I haven't been employed in education for a year or so now. Okay. I might get back into it. I, I'm job hunting right now. Cool. But, uh, you know, family and faith are, are the two big issues that you can use for clean material. Sure. Yeah, because everybody's got wow. a family, and everybody can relate to family struggle. Sure. Yeah. That's great. That's that's a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. And kids are funny too. The other thing you can go is animals. Like, oh right. Yeah. Uh, Except me, I can't do my animal material is all weird. No, I love gross. your cat material. Oh, it's sweet. Oh, all right. And it's heartfelt too. Well, I mean, but talking about jacking off my cat isn't necessarily clean. Well, not that part. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two, two tiny, two tiny uh, Q-tips and some Vaseline. I don't want to have to. Jack and you know, it's like part of the thing is you can still touch on the material if you can just do it in a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of way with right. euphemisms, sure. where it'll go over a kid's head, but an adult will know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So sometimes it's just uh, word choice, and, and then you can still do your old material. Right. Yeah. So do you? I mean, it's, this just sort of opened you up. Why? Why did you decide to negate dirty stuff? You just were like, this is not helping. Well, I'm not negating it, but I am getting getting tired of it. Ah. Because I've spent so much time in dive bars with dark and blue humor that just, it it crushes the soul. And I start swearing all the time, so then my mouth sounds like a toilet, even when I don't need to. Right. And um, I, I fixate on the negative. So part of it is trying to get myself out of the gutter. That's that's part of me becoming more professional. Right. Um, and it opens up more opportunities with, sure. you know, corporate or religious Right, gigs. corporate gigs are great. Sorry. Hey, it's all good. You can We can, okay. <laughs> we're, we're going to wrap up pretty soon because we have an, I have another interview. He's coming. His name's, he's not here yet. Oh, okay. His name's Nathan Bogner and he went to high school with me and he's in a play right now in the Tenderloin. Ah. And I saw that he's, I saw like him in his little outfit and I was like oh my god you've got to come in and talk about your play it's for the next two weekends and it's in the TL I'm like I want to totally I haven't seen theater in so long and it's such a weird dying medium and um, so I've often felt that way about comedy that when it's in bars all the time I'm like am I an alcoholic with a comedy problem or am I a comedian with an alcohol problem (laughs) like what is it what's the right is because everywhere is a bar for example on Monday night after I finished here, where we can't drink here, and I love that this place became no alcohol, it, it really, I felt, make yeah, us more professional. Yeah, that helped a lot, actually. It made us more professional. I think things are better. Things are less crazy. That's good yeah. for me. Things are safer. I like that. Um, but right after, I went to another different open mic, and I 
I didn't want to drink. I actually hadn't had a drink all day and I didn't want one, but I felt that I kind of had to have a drink because I was in a bar and I wanted to be supported by the space and they didn't have any food. It was just a bar. Yeah. So I bought a, you know, I bought a $7 beer, eight bucks with a tip and I, I drank That's it and did my, yeah. Yeah, did my, did my time and, and I wanted to support the room. But then there's some nights on a Tuesday where I want to go support the room, but I have two drinks at OMG and then I go to Tope and then I go, you know, and, and all of a sudden I'm fucking wasted. Yeah. And then like when I don't even remember my last set is the point to go, isn't the point to go out and do comedy or is the point to go out and drink? And so it's like this weird, it's a weird push and pull for me. So I can understand why you've decided to do, because clean gigs are not going to be in a bar. They're usually going to be like at a library, maybe at a wine bar. Sometimes it depends. Yeah. Cafes and cafes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's getting me into a healthier space and I still like drinking with my friends and there's a place for that. And that's great. Cause like I was able to go to Bocce cellar in Santa Cruz the other night, see Schwasmith and I hadn't seen him in a month and people were hugging me and I got to be myself and no guilt at all. Right. You know, so I I earned it in a way. Sure. Of course. (laughs) But yeah, it's like, I mean, I was really happy that recently on Bacon, people were talking about the issue of venues and how much we should or shouldn't support them, money and everything. And it's good that we're having that conversation because, you know, when nobody supports, the place does close. Right. But, you know, there should be alternatives, you know, because if people are alcoholic or they just don't want to drink, they could, you know, leave a monetary donation or the equivalent. Or maybe like, if you're like me, sometimes you go to a place for a month and you buy a ton of drinks. And then the next month, I don't feel like buying anything. And they know I've supported the venue. Sure, so it's sure. not an issue. Right. Or you could buy a t-shirt. I like to do those. Yeah. yeah. that's. It's, it's hard, though. The alcohol is everywhere. And it when is. you decide to be sober, that's like I was I was sick the other week and I was sober for over a week, which is the longest I've been sober in oh, a really job, long man. time. <laughs> well, I was sick. I just didn't want. I wanted to get fucking better. Yeah. And it was over the weekend to 420. So I was like sober. And I'm just, but... Uh, where am I going with sobriety? I'm not going anywhere. I I know, right? (laughs) I I still, I mean, it didn't change my decision making in any way. I still make really bad decisions whether I'm drunk or not. But, um, I don't know where I was going with sobriety. I work in a bar, though. I like to drink. I I mean, uh, yeah, but you don't want to get high on your own stash. And so I'm sure like your boss doesn't want you being drunk at work. No, no, I'm not. I mean, the thing is last night I had two beers during my shift, which is a five hour shift. And then when I was closing, I had one while I was doing the dishes. Yeah, so three that's beers above and beyond. That's not that much. Yeah. Although it is four. they say that four drinks while you're awake during a day is binge drinking for a woman. And I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Cause you got lower body mass. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm cutting back on drinking for a couple of reasons. First, more clean humor. Second, because my liver can't take it. Oh, I get a lot of heartburn just with it too. So, because huh. otherwise, I I just love to have me some more boiler makers. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, but also it's expensive it's too. Expensive. I, I don't have money to be spending on booze, especially these days. Yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, I, I was that. I was living off my parents for a little while because they. I had had some rough spots and I had health problems and they knew that uh, the economy is rough. So mm. th- basically they gave me my inheritance early. That's so nice of them. It was nice of them. And now they're retiring. They're moving to Colorado at the end of the month. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fully independent and uh, I'm looking actively for work in uh, the South Bay in Watsonville. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Hey, looking for some, what, what's your field? 
Um, I have a lot of experience in administration and education, and then uh, recently, the last few years, I got into marketing and promotion through comedy. Yes, and you're so good at it. Oh my God, I should, I should. Well, I, I've been learning. learning along the way, and then I had a partner, uh, the improv gal in uh, Sunnyvale, Dina Ware. You know, I worked for her for a little while, right, right. And uh, we've been running the Lily Max room in Sunnyvale together. Awesome. So she's super supportive, and she's been helping me with my resume and teaching me all these useful skills to get butts in seats. You yeah, know? Oh God, teach me for the love of Christ. I'm, I mean, I. Every weekend, I feel like I've got these great lineups with people that are at the punchline and at the cobs and at all the places and all the shows and I just it's the same comic why can't I get people here I have no idea how to do it and I've been trying for years I just don't know what's yeah. effective I know that Facebook isn't effective Facebook anymore. is not effective yeah. I learned that I, I spent a thousand dollars on Facebook ads one summer wow yeah. I, I won't do it because they I don't think they do anything and people tell me that the Instagram ads help, help but I'm just trying to get people I to follow the Mutiny it. Radio Instagram. You know, I, Tony said Mutiny Radio a SF. personal connection. Yeah. So what we have to do is get off the web and go talk to people face to face. I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel like I need to go in this neighborhood with flyers and yeah. just knock on doors and be like, did you know there's awesome comedy? You know, and that's right around grassroots activism and socialism right there. Yeah. You know, because it's easy to talk about those stuff, but living the reality, you know, that makes an impression on people. That gets them to come out of their way to see us because you went out of your way to see them. I'm going to try. David Stolowitz, you're amazing. I'm so glad that you, I feel like we sort of did like half therapy, half talk about the yeah, occult. That was, was a lot of fun so i'm gonna just, i'm gonna figure out what that dead body under the stairs is i'm gonna do some good luck fam. i'm gonna do some work <laughs> david stolowitz everyone where, where can people see your next shows you said in sunnyvale yeah i got a showcase on uh may the 20th it's a monday uh starting around 9 p.m the headliner is gene Yi. it's gonna be great gene Yi's headlining yeah she has more than 10 minutes yeah she does <laughs> all right that's good wow um hey and before you leave i'll, I'll book you on do you want to be booked on june 14th uh, sure. Okay, good. I'll add you to that thing. Okay. Right on. And check out his room in Sunnyvale. And thanks so much for being here. Yay! Thank you, Pam. Take care. Yay! Uh, coming in is someone I haven't seen since high school. I can't believe it. Clap your hands, everyone. It's uh, it's Nathan Bogner. Yay! Yay! You made it. Ooh. How are you doing? I'm really great. How That's are how you? you though you're I know, skinny I know, now I, know. I, I lost a lot of weight like 25 years ago wow yeah you remember stop the insanity do you remember susan powder the crazy blonde lady yes yeah, yeah ride the yeah, snake yeah yeah no totally she was all about eat less exercise more for the rest of your life wow wow but you well, look great too oh thanks welcome to mutiny radio thank you very much yeah so you have a play right now that's happening in the tl yes yes arden of faversham it's an elizabethan comedy um it's an anonymous piece so they don't even know who wrote it um i'm of the opinion it wasn't shakespeare because there seems to be a bunch of shakespeare puns in it oh um, we have two bad guys in it one's name is will the other's name is Shakebag. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right there. And wow. then uh, I play the Will character, and four of my lines are puns on Shakespeare titles or references to things that would have been commonly known about him. So this was written in, like, the 1500s. 1593. Whoa! Right? Right? What? And which, what, who's the director who decided to bring this out of obscurity? Well, the company, and- the company is Theater of Others, and they perform over at the Kelly Cullen Community Arts Center at... 
220 Golden Gate Avenue. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know what the, Golden Gate, that's like so close to my neighborhood. Oh yeah, no, it totally is. It's, it's a hotel apartment building. Um, it's one of the first buildings that got rebuilt after the fire. So we perform in the downstairs area. It's this ultra cool little auditorium and, and the difference between an auditorium and a, a, a stage might, might be just the, the acoustics in it. Huh. So like we, we whisper and you hear everything like 12 times. How, how big busy. of a, how big of an auditorium is it? How many seats are well, you selling? Well, the full what are the audi- ticket costs? And- well, the, the ticket cost on this baby is free. What? Definitely. Really? Yeah. No, this what? is about sharing the art, babe. No Absolutely. Way. I swear to God, man. It's a free, free show? Well, I mean, we always take donations. Oh, so okay, if, okay. if you have some money to give us, please, we love money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, theater no. is like a dying medium. Who does theater anymore? Well, you know, the Bay Area actually is has got a really rich, amazing community theater scene. And I hate really? to use that word community because, uh, you know, when we're graduating high school and stuff, there was enough flo- money floating around. You had all these in-between professional companies, right? Sure. Um, and there's just so much less money now. Um, but at the same time, these companies are just everywhere. I, I work in Berkeley a lot. There's Theater First out there. There's Actors oh. Ensemble at Berkeley. Here in San Francisco, there's there's oh there's just a ton of stuff. Really? Yeah, I actually was just in a production of uh, Barbarella. What? Yeah, the- right. It was over there at the No Exit Space. Okay, uh, during- I know the No Exit Space also in the TL. Yeah, 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 yeah. The so- Kelly Community. Kelly, uh, the Kelly Cullen Community Arts Center. Kelly Cullen Community Arts Center. I've yeah. never heard of it. So no, no, it's inside of a hotel. It's inside. So, and um, I, I, our director and the head of theater, uh, theater of others, Glenn Havlin, um, works for the city, and uh, part of his job is, is going to different sites, and, and he was there, and his background is between music and art and okay. theater and stuff. Um, and like everybody else with a background in music like that and stuff, right. he has a day job. Sure, um, that's true. Yeah, and uh, part of his day job brought him into seeing this and this space that wasn't being used for anything. Wow! And he made arrangements, and uh, they've been performing. I don't know how long they have. I was trying to find that out on my way here. Their their website sure. doesn't actually say how long they've been performing, but they've done at least fifteen or twenty plays over the past five years. No, what? So, and what kind of budgets are you working with? Oh, pennies, baby. This is pay what you will. They are supported by local community groups, and, and we do definitely get grants and stuff to help out. Okay. Because um, theater's expensive to produce. It's absolutely insanely expensive. And then the promotion, like how do you get out to come see the show? Well, that's just it. Free. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, 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 the solution to, to how do you get the word out is usually cast a show that has 1,500 people in it, uh, and then you expect each of them to do too. So like if sure, you go to a lot sure. of these community theater companies, especially where we grew up out in the burbs and all these areas right, and stuff right. you'll usually see two giant musicals on their playbill that'll have like a million a cast, like like somebody's doing Annie again right right you know and well, yeah they have they, they built an audience just well, from the people that's, in the that's show that's what it is you know but, but those you only have three sh- people in your show uh, there's uh, no this show actually has uh, what do we got Ten actors. Oh wow! I just saw a picture of you online, and it's just yeah, you and two yeah. other people, and you were all yeah, like well, in well, your the, puffy pantaloons. I know, no, that's freaking hilarious. Well, the general <laughs> plot of the play—it's—it's actually—it's—it's. It's, I, I can't. The director has made me swear not to reveal the ending, so I yeah, can't no, tell you no which, spoilers. Yeah, I know, so I can't tell you which Coen Brothers movie it reminds me of. Oh. But there is literally a Coen Brothers movie that if you come see this, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. I know exactly what he's talking about. It's so freaking funny. But it was built. 
It was written in 1593. Totally, and it's actually even a true crime story. Oh. So this is our version of I, Tanya. You remember the Tanya Hardy movie? Sure, that came sure, out sure. Early, right? Sure. So there's a level of camp going on here, plus a level of high drama, and, and the the actual what really happened is just ridiculous. There's this middle-aged lady, right, and she wants to kill her husband so she can run off with his money and her boyfriend. All right. Right, so she hires some old guy to, or she hires actually first a, a painter to do it, uh-huh. and he's going to poison him, but uh-huh. he messes that up. Right. So then the she hires paint. The, uh-huh. paint. Yeah, well, something like that. Yeah, yeah no, it's yeah. it's just really funny. And then she hires this old guy to kill him, except the old guy can't do it, so he hires two bumbling killers, and I'm one of the bumbling oh, killers. That's so cool. Right? Yeah. Imagine what if John Malkovich had Nick Cage's personality. Oh my god. Right. I, that's what I do yeah. in this play. Sure, right? sure, sure. Uh, and the two of us actually are kind of like these evil Jay and Silent Bob characters. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, no, I talk constantly, just a little mouth running 24-7. Is Uh, is everyone in period... Oh, absolutely. It's all absolutely. done, period. Yeah, no, the set's really simplistic, but we spent the money on, well, the set's really simplistic, but we spent the money on uh, on the costume. Off the costumes. Uh, you, you saw a photograph I of uh, the, the, the lead lady is, is who you were looking at. Oh. Uh, and then you yeah. were both you and the other person were on the side. Yeah, it was like, yeah, ah! yeah. And that's our Jay and Silent Bob kind of guy and stuff. Freaking hilarious, though. So how long have you, are you... You're a professional actor. This is what you do for a living, or are you? Um, I'm in fun? between ranges. I went back to school because uh, my first education is in technical theater, and then, oh. um, I went back and studied at Berkeley Rep, and I studied acting and playwriting there for four years. Okay. Um, and cool. uh, right now, I'm in between trying to get into that. But the trade-off is the more money you make, the less freedom you have, right? Sure. So like this year, I do a lot of lighting design, so I had a chance to light uh, 448 Psychosis, which is this really heavy play uh, about a suicide. Whoa. You know, so... Everybody, that's what everybody wants to go see. No, no, absolutely. But, no. but it was well-received. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Yes. It was absolutely well-received. Sure. But that kind of intense work and stuff, to have the freedom to do that, that right. is kind of the trade-off. Is, sure. But don't get me wrong, I want a bigger paycheck than the one I got. Are you SAG? No, I'm nothing. Okay. I'm not union at all. Okay. I wouldn't be able to do most of this stuff. Uh, right, if, if you were. At, yeah. yeah, that was. I used to do community theater yeah. down yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. I did a lot of theater back in the the day, back in yeah. my twenties yeah. and whatever. Yeah, well, we 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 you, you, we 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 met in music, right? In in chorus or something. Probably. Right. I, we I had feel, a bunch of classes together. Yeah. You but, were one of the smart kids. You were in smart people classes, like the AP stuff, weren't you? Were no, like, I had ADHD, so they never let me in. Really? I, was I in, thought we had chemistry together or something. We might have had chemistry together, but the chemistry teacher, okay, I really do With have Mrs. ADHD. That's not even a game. No, and the fine. chemistry teacher at the end of that class promised to pass me if I swore never to take a chemistry class again. Wow. I promise. I promise. It was hilarious. I was like, oh, you'll pass me though. And then he didn't. So then I took chemistry again. Oh my God! I took it from Miss Sharp, the lady who was yeah, no. the. Oh, it was the. It was. I can't. God, I can't even remember everybody's names from back then. Yeah, twenty-five years, and not, not even just twenty-five. Did you years. go to the? Re, did you go to the reunion? The in, twenty-five. The, I don't know the one that the. the I don't know if it was the twentieth. The last one that was in Blackhawk. Well, that's the twenty-year. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't I, go to that. Yeah, no, I totally did. Did it was you? Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't go because the guy who put it together, Brian Grimm, he said. If you wear, he's like, oh, I saw some pictures of you in your cheerleading costume. If you still fit it, you should wear it. And then I only charge you half price for tickets. And I was like, motherfucker, if you're going to have me come perform and look like an asshole at my 20 year, you better get me in for free. And there better be some goddamn drink tickets. Dude, if you're going to sexually harass me after 20 fucking years, could you please like at least pay for that? You know, I I can fit into Um, my cheerleading costumes. Because he's really a sweet guy usually. So he's probably just trying to sound cool because... 
I was. Some like, people are Dude. trying to. Come. I mean, that's not an excuse because we're all grown ups here. Are we? I want to. Well, um, you know, we we've all made. We're old enough to have made the same mistake twelve times. Sure. How about that? The 13th time. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 13 times. Shame just on everyone. Call, call me, please. Yeah, call, call me. <laughs> please, just call me. I just, I need some more of that love. So when you started working on this play, this, if especially if you have Elizabethan language, that's tough. So you must have done at least six weeks in oh, rehearsal Oh, the rehearsal time? process for this guy was uh, actually uh, eight weeks. Eight we, weeks rehearsal time. Yeah. And then it runs for how long? Well, we have a three-weekend run. Okay. So, um, last we actually, weekend? Last weekend was our first. We uh, close Mother's Day. Oh, Oh, wow, the 12th. And yeah, so, so when are when are all these shows that people can come see? For well, free, by the way. Donate, yeah, no, donate, totally donate, free. Donate. But yeah, money is beautiful. Yeah. But you know, here's the deal as far as that goes. Because you know what? Uh, sometimes people are, are, they want to donate and they don't know how to. Like mm. like, they, like my mom was really tripping. Like, I, and so no, I'm not talking. If you want to be free, be free. Come in, baby. It's awesome. Come see our show. Yeah. But those of you who are looking for money, trying to figure out, well, what would be fair? You know what? If you got $5, that's awesome. You know, if you've got $10, that's even this better. This is San Francisco. Yeah. You've got ten dollars it's ten dollars for you know, a drink if you, if you want it yeah and, and 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 you know so there's there's that and there yep. will be a basket there and stuff but yeah no the show runs uh thursday friday saturday nights at 8 p.m sunday afternoons at 2 p.m for oh. those of you that want to freaking get in um it's about two hours and 45 minutes awesome so there it's is a, a long fi- play well it is it is there's a 15 minute intermission in the middle to help you stretch your legs and stuff but i mean seriously Although it is physically long, there's a lot of physical comedy going on. Sure. Among other things, I get concussed in the middle of this. Somebody else gets dropped into a ditch. I mean, we, we, we have guns going off on accident. We have sword fights happening. Yeah, and, that's and, great. And, and, oh, uh, yeah. and that's why you were in rehearsal for so long, because fight choreography is not easy. Oh, yeah. No, there's, 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 uh, there's actually... There's one sword fight. Uh, I have a fist fight. Oh wow! Um, and then there's there's two other really significant action sequences in the piece. Yeah. So how do you choose plays you want to be in? Do you just you're like, were are you were you excited to do? You're like I've always wanted to be in an Elizabethan piece, and you're just like yes. Or how did how did you find? This play, these players, this group. Well, well, because you I, live, you still live East Bay. So you're yeah, yeah, coming no. out here. You were yeah, coming yeah, out no. here for rehearsals. Yeah, yeah, I actually came just now from from Concord. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, no, you know what? My background is uh, when I went back to school. I, I've been involved in over 200 plays on wow. stage and off stage. So I've done a lot of theater over the years. Wow. Um, I've had an opportunity to travel the country. I've had an opportunity to do rain rigs. Uh, I, I stage managed production of Singing in the Rain that was full scale. Um, I was in a. Wow. I, I've done a lot of stuff sure so the first part of your question is you know I just do everything and right. I keep my eyes out and stuff as far as what do I choose well, I'm a twisted little effer you know <laughs> so, you can swear on this yeah I, I you mean, can yeah. swear yeah so so I just keep my eye out um, I'm I, I'm short I'm bald I really do kind of look like John Malkovich and Scott Hamilton had you, a baby you do yeah. that's hilarious yeah. you should yeah. start doing stand-up comedy yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 what a great opening line I know that's isn't that so amazing good. I'd like to say I just came up with that but I didn't no that's Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been so thinking different. about it for a while. That's oh no, good. I, you know what? I, I I wait tables during the daytime. Oh. And what do you do when you got a bunch of people that are starving? You need to distract them. And sure. I got a mouth, and it runs twenty four seven. Yeah, no. Yeah, I look so. like I look like Catherine Keener had too many abortions. Oh, that's <laughs> totally not true. Just the perfect amount. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah. I I love I love Catherine Keener. I don't know who she is. Oh, you don't? She was no. in Forty Year Old Virgin, and she yeah. was in Being John Malkovich. She was the oh. mean. Okay, yeah. Wifey, the one that the the his wife left him for 
Anyways, Catherine Keenan, look her up. I am. Yay. Yes. Yeah. We've got the technology. Oh, dude. Thursday, Friday, Saturday at 8. Sunday at 2. Pay what you can. Um, Go to the Mother's Day is a great day to come see this show, May 12th. Um, That's not only our closing performance, but... uh, How many many seats are in this theater? Well, we actually have it set up so it's more intimate than that. Okay. Um, So so don't worry about it. Uh, We have about 50 seats in the house. That's great. That's a big... That's a big... uh, Yeah. You know what? I did... uh, Last year, I did eight or nine shows. Um, almost all of them were 50-seat houses, and they all, yeah, yeah. I did one. I did a production to Spam a lot out there in Pittsburgh, right? Wow. I'm not going to lie. Out in Pittsburgh, sold, they, they filled up a 200-seat house. Wow. Like a few times. Wow. Like pretty impressive. Yeah. All I'm saying is, if you dig the theater, I mean, San Francisco is a great place to start. Absolutely. Sure. sure. But you can literally get on this train, and all the way out to Pittsburgh, California, Get off every stop, and there's a local theater company that doesn't suck. That's, yeah. I I, I mean, I'm not going to say they're all as great as I am, (laughs) but, but, but. I used to work, I used to work in my early 20s. I worked with the Woodland Opera House out in, and it's this beautiful 1896 historic theater, and it was, and I remember asking um, at the time, he's retired, but he was the artistic director, and he came in, and his name was Jeff Keene, and I, I asked him, I'm like, why are you here? He had left. He had left a prestigious teaching job in Pittsburgh or something, teaching theater. And I was like, "Why are you here?" And he's like, "Because I'm the artistic director of this. This is the yeah, end game, yeah, honey." Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, "But it's just community theater." And he's like, "No, it's doing theater professionally all the time." Yeah. And like I people imagine. have jobs. Like when you're the artistic director of an awesome community theater, you. Well, one of the reasons I went into technical theater is as a designer and. Um, a, I make money every show I do. Sure. Um, and I work all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just kind of it. As the economy has switched over the past 20 years from, from you know, yeah. as it just split entirely and stuff, um, the theaters that offer actors money, everybody tries to give you something. Yeah. I will sure. say that much. I will yeah. say that is something that is different. Is everybody right now is trying to get you 50 bucks, sure. 100 bucks. But it, I mean, if you, you know. do the math on your rehearsals, no, if you're please doing don't, do, don't do math. No, don't do you, math. Have a lobotomy before you do math. But if you, I mean, if you think about it, it is sweet when people offer you compensation. But I mean, all of the hours. No, it That's doesn't. the thing about theater. People like. No, when Love you're an actor, it. when you're an actor and you have a, a reasonable sized role, just outside of your rehearsal process, I tell people it takes me three hours to memorize one page of dialogue. If I have a significant portion of dialogue wow. on a page, it'll take me three hours. So actors have like this huge load of homework that they're doing. Absolutely, homework. And I'm a designer, man. Right? Although I, it, it's just it's all this. It is hours and hours. But tech hours. is tech can be crazy. I mean, tech can yeah. be. I used to do some stage management and stuff too and I would well, just yell at people well, and stage like managing such is, a jerk no that's like, an administrative <laughs> job that's an administrative yeah. bureaucratic job and that yeah. is because it is the only this stage managing is the only administrator in a room full of artists <laughs> and and they have to manage all these egos and technically nobody's in charge of the stage manager and that's so that the stage manager can call out anyone from the director to the lighting designer to whoever needs to be called out if they need to be called out the stage manager is in charge but that is an insane job that's actually what my when i first went to school was to stage manage really i stage managed like 80 shows i ran a theater company all this by the time i was 25 i almost had five heart attacks i lost all the hair on my head did you um did you get an mfa in stage management no i no 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 i i did a trade school and two internships oh wow yeah yeah i am i 
I, you know, school is one of those things. It gets you a lot of connections. It can. I mean, but, I, never, I didn't. But I that's the reason to go. I mean, that's that's, yeah, that's three quarters the is 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 that uh, uh, that's how come when I went back to school, I went to Berkeley Rep and I studied acting there. Um, but you know, honestly, the truth of the matter is, when you're in the arts community, make art. Right. Well, do we still? But are we valuing art? I mean, you're getting you're getting good houses here, and people are clapping and they're enjoying it. And oh yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. And you know what? The audiences that come to the plays are always really, really supportive. However, it's not about the audiences that come to the play. It's about the fact that so many people just don't. I think that I'm going to come know? on Thursday oh, instead of doing because I I work tonight, and yeah. but Thursday I would usually do open mics. But fuck it, I don't need to do an open mic. I, mean, I know my jokes. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't, to, I don't need. I don't need to practice in front of a bunch of comedians. I want to go see some freaking art. For, first off, if you can, yes. But second off, don't not do your homework. No, no. I mean, I don't. I can take a day off. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, I run. Like, I run like three open mics. So yeah, it's yeah. Fun. No, you work all the time. I think. Well, I don't know. This is this work. It's hard. It's like, but I think that. Our society has devalued art to such a point that even though it's like there is labor and value, there there's labor in act. It's there's so much that goes into it, and it's so it just it, like you said the memorization, but the but the blocking and the studying and the being the fucking character on stage and then the repetition, all of that is is actual labor. It's mm-hmm. entertainment labor, and that we don't. Sometimes with art, we're like, well, you just do it because you love it. And it's like, well, yeah, but it would be great if we lived in a Marxist society where everybody's labor was valued equally. And the labor that you do as an artist was monetarily compensated in our society. But they go, oh, you love it so much, though, Nathan. You just love it, don't you? Obviously, you've been talking to my mother. Because she says that all the time. Does she? It's, and I have it's an so uncle that, that does. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I, it's a system that I'm in the middle of. Right. When we step out of the system, yes, everything you just said, well, a lot of it anyway. I mean, yes. But what is the solution? I, I mean, honestly, the solution is, is, is twofold. Right now, uh, the Bay Area theater scene is all about inclusion and opening up parameters for the first time. Huh. You were talking to me about um, auditions and stuff. Uh, yeah. uh, if you didn't catch on from the Scott Hamilton and John Malkovich jokes, I'm clearly Caucasian. Uh, I'm male. I'm 45. So I'm with a I have a baby face on stage. I can play thirty-five. To you 40. look really young. Yeah, you don't have. Yeah, do you, do yeah. you don't like you. You, do, you have no wrinkles. Yeah. You're like no, I have no wrinkles. No, I'm not. But but if anybody wants skincare advice, I got a lot. But I heard a bad <laughs> joke about Jared Kushner and skincare, so I don't offer it anymore. For <laughs> well, you do. You look great. Matt, yeah, well, thank you. So you're forty-five. You, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I will be, I'll be forty-five this year. I was looking up Speed Racer wow. cartoons last night. Wow. Yeah. No. Isn't yeah. it weird? Like. Don't don't you still feel like you're the same person you were in high school? Like nothing's really changed except the. Do you do you feel the same? I feel the same. I, I mean, I kind of hear you on that one, but I have such clear memories of high school, and they're almost all good. I had a great time. I might have been a little gay nerd in, in in the 80s and 90s, but my high school, I never got hassled, and I had a huge number of friends, and so it was just a special time for me as far sure. as that stuff goes. Yeah. I, no. No bad thing about it and I can see qualities in my personality now that are exactly the same but no I feel I didn't know you were gay in high school oh yeah you, I don't think I you was. were were you out you weren't no, out no no I didn't, I didn't come think out. so yeah I didn't come out until uh, well I mean we're, we're that generation that didn't come out until after college so I came out uh, huh I came out af- okay so I, 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 I 
I did nothing but work and study until I was 23. Uh, and then I gave it all up and I took that book on the road. And I'd been oh nothing but a studious God. little nerd my whole life. I turned on the road into a diary. Uh, ev- you, there's not a story in that book I don't have a corollary story to. Wow. And there's instances where I wish I didn't have a story about that one. Sure, you know? sure. But, but I, I, I do, right? And I did that for a long time. And, and I don't know. I, I, I feel the things that are the same about me. But I do not feel like I am the same person. Sure. And, and, and I know that's different for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, what I will say is I do not feel like I am 45 and I'm halfway done with the game. Right. That I, part, I can't I believe I'm, fu- I'm I turned 45 this year too and I can't fucking yeah, believe it. Yeah, that part tricks I can't me believe the hell it. out. The fact that, the fact, I went to an American Idiot audition this year and oh. the choreographer almost died when she took one look at me. You could just see her eyes bug out. Oh, he thinks he's that age. Oh. <laughs> no, whatever, man. I, 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 I well, because I walked in, I I have this baby face and this high You're energy and stuff, so so I, I do play young a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. When you don't have a twenty-five-year-old, I can pass when you need me to, right? Right. But I walked into this audition, I was surrounded by real twenty-five-year-olds, and oh. as far as I could tell, they looked like sixteen-year-olds. Sure. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Like it wasn't like I was looking at them going. I could be your grandfather. Well, and that's the thing too that's been happening with me in comedy is that I'm a, I'm significantly older than a lot of people uh-huh. doing it and the kids in their 20s I look at them and I'm just like you are so young but I feel like we're the same and we're in the same place in our lives and I and I just can't believe that I'm Well, let me let me 45. twist your head a little bit. Next time you're in that situation, no, you're not in the same place. You are now the older lady. I'm the older lady that the does one, comedy. Yeah, the one that yeah. they think like, wow, she's managed it. You're oh, no. Bo- they're looking at me like going, oh, shit. What, why is she still doing this? She's old. Shouldn't she be in Hollywood? Do you ever get pressured to like move to L.A.? Just for myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm, I, I say I'm ready for a new adventure and the idea of film, it, it's so much different than it used to be. Like, like you know, when we're graduating high school, it's still the video camera age, right? Oh, right. You know, uh, so, so so my favorite filmmakers are people who made film in the vein of John Waters, Nick Zed, sure. uh, theater uh, film of uh, transgressive th- film and stuff out there stuff. That's stuff yeah. I love, right? Yeah. But there's not a lot of it, and there's right. no money and all that, right? There's well, these days, so but these days you have so many YouTube channels and Netflix, oh, and Hulu and stuff. Yeah, Netflix. I could totally be. The post-millennial generations, Vincent Price and every bad horror movie. Yes, you could. Ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, you gotta write that. But but there's there's just so many. You know, there's now in the 21st century. As long as I don't want to start opposite Brad Pitt. Ah. Uh, you know what I mean? As long as I keep that off, I feel like there's a lot more opportunities than there used to be. Sure. You know, I mean, I still I don't know. If you're doing nine plays a year, that's you're pretty much constantly. Yeah. No, I'm gonna take some time off here. I'm gonna do some classwork here and. Uh, um. I'm doing one more show. I'm in uh, Witch Hunt, which will be produced by Those Women Productions. Um, Witch Hunt? Yeah. What is, it, that sounds great. Oh, yeah. No, no. Witches! It, yeah, um, I'm into mm. witchy shit. I like it. Well, 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 take a step back because it's not a fantasy play, although oh. I love doing fantasy. I love doing fantasy. No, this one is uh, the story of the Salem Witch Trials. Oh. It's uh, by, oh, I'm going to mess up Carol's last name. So, Carol, when, when I say your name wrong, um, go ahead and correct me. 
if you ever listen to this, Carol Lishoff, um, okay. and she's a, uh, it's a theater, uh, those women productions will perform at Laval's space and it's about the Salem witch trials. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's from the women's perspective. Sure. So if what you're familiar with is the crucible, um, which I was in, in high school. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That I yep. was just an extra. I was just a bird girl. I got to that's scream right. at the bird. That's all right. You did. You and Mary Warren were great. I do remember <laughs> that. I do remember that. Yeah. That yeah. was, no, was my uh, freshman year. I was very, it was, very young. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Stadelhofer was the director of that. Yeah, the good. That was the oh. thing is the lady who left and then came back didn't like me. Oh, she didn't like nobody. Yeah, okay. Oh, it it made her mad Mrs. that I, Day was her yeah, name. Yeah, Mrs. it made Day. her mad. I was so talented. Oh wow. Yeah, because I I was really annoying, and then not only was I really annoying and I looked really young. I had really high reading comprehension. Oh, she yeah. didn't like me either. Yeah. And then she left again. She was uh-huh. she wasn't there, and then she came back, and then she left again. Yeah. And those are the only place I ever got cast in was when uh, she wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. the next, the next. Year, I don't know if you remember Beth Swanson. Uh, I do remember Beth Swanson. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she, uh, that same teacher, as soon as she was gone that second year, um, the next guy that came in was Tom Goffin, and, and he, and he actually performs in comedy sports in this area still, too. Wow. Um, but uh, he cast Beth um, as the lead in uh, Whose Life Is It Anyway? Right. I was, I was in that because um, I was, um, I had a very small part, but I made everyone laugh because I was a, I was an expert on the stand, and I made an acting choice that I was very proud of. That every time I said yes, I would shake my head no, <laughs> and every time I'd say no, because all I did got to do in the play was basically say yes or no to a bunch of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made this what I thought was a very funny choice, and it was people laughed, and so it was such a serious play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I was like, yay, they're laughing at me, yay! Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the play she's talking about is about an artist that. who uh, is in a bad car accident, becomes a paraplegic. Yeah. and then decides that they would like to fight for the right to to end their life um, and and so the the witness that she's talking about here um, is is definitely in the middle of this very you're about two-thirds of the way through the play you've been crying the whole time yeah and then just and picture it, it you it know? was such like the weirdest play to choose because it was all set in a bed like it was she was in this fucking bed the whole time on stage yeah. in this hospital room yeah. and then they turn it into I was like what why did you choose this play? For a high school play, it was weird. <laughs> but at so the same, weird. But at the same time, it offered so many acting lessons. And he cast an entire cast of people that the other teacher never used. Right. And that included me, that included Beth, that included... That included uh, me. That's included where we must your, have hung out, yeah, was yeah. during that play, senior yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. I need uh, to go back through our... Uh, yeah. Through our thingy, the, what's the it yearbook. Called? The yearbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the reason that Mrs. Day wouldn't ever do anything, she, I remember her pulling me aside, and she's like, "You can either be a cheerleader or you can be in theater. You have to choose." And I was like, "Well, being a cheerleader is kind of like theater. I mean, it is like, it's yeah, it is. You're performing. It's a performative." I don't want to call it a sport or an art, but it's yeah, yeah. It's performative yelling at people. It's well, it, no, it is. No, all, all sport dance is sport dance of any sort, whether it's cheerleading or the fl- tall flags, all of that stuff is. Yes, if you're involved in that, please stay involved in that. Yeah. Okay, um, if, if you're involved in sports, stay involved in sports. Whatever you're involved in, stay yeah, invo- involved. And don't in let something. people don't let people tell you it doesn't have value. That's lame. Um, but she was like, that teacher in particular was like that. Um, she was really she really wanted to have a a pre professional company, and instead she was teaching at a public school. Right. And and that's that, I never thought yeah. about it from that perspective yeah. that it might have been her ego that was in the way. Oh yeah, no, that's what it was. That's so funny to me. Uh, well, it, when you look at her, the way she actually did her acting program and stuff, her her classes were were some of the best 
honest, honestly, they were some of the best acting classes. I've taken a lot of theater classes, a lot of acting classes, and what I got uh, my sophomore year from this lady, because she wasn't there our freshman year and she wasn't there our senior year. Um, but what I got from her in that moment in time, really, like, it was the same that I got at DVC in college. Really? Cool. Yeah. Um, but that being said, if you're a jerk to your students, right. How does that matter as much? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, you want the quality program, but if you're shutting people out of it, does it, right. is it still a quality program or is it an ego piece? Did you go to Ashland, um, Oregon any years? Once. 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 once I went, yeah. I went once too when I was a freshman and that's during one of the plays I gave my first hand job and to oh be honest, God. I don't even remember who it was to, but he was older. He was like a senior. So I was a freshman and that's really all I remember. I remember seeing a bunch of cool plays and being like, oh my God, I want to act. I, this is so important. I this just want to so know cool. what the hell play you were watching when that's what was going on. It was it was in the big theater in Ashland. It was in a, one of the bigger theaters, obviously. And we were sitting up sort of toward the back and it was dark up there. And I was sitting next to, I don't even remember what cute boy. And I like let my hand and then he sort of put it under his pants and I was like, I think I just gave my first hand job. And it's funny because nobody likes a hand job. Not even in high school, no one likes it. No one knows what they're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm no. like, I'm a lot of thing. No. But and so it was hard to watch the play. And the funny thing it was, was hard to watch the play. I don't know if body. anybody I don't know if I think everybody must have known that was sitting near us. But I thought that no, like no, oh, I heard no nothing. I heard anything. I, you know what? That that would have spread like wildfire. People would have known more about that than like you remember when Chloe Savinia did that thing in Brown Bunny? No, what happened? Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. I she, love Chloe Savinia. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vincent Gallo in that movie. Oh. Yeah, you didn't hear about that. No. Oh, well, then evidently I'm just a pervo. I, 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 that's yeah. fine with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so everybody go see, tell, what's the name of the play again? Oh, Arden of Faversham. Arden of Faversham. And is Arden the name of the woman? Uh, that's, that's their the last name? name. That's the family oh, name. okay. Yeah, yeah. Her first Arden name is Alice. Faversham. Yeah. It could have been written by Christopher Marlowe. It could have been written mm-hmm. by Shakespeare. It could, could have been, been written, written by, by Thomas Kidd. And those are the, actually the Marlowe references, the top three. Uh, random Marlowe factoid, because I'm a queer guy and I figure somebody else will be queer and stuff. Uh, Marlo was one of the first queer spies. Uh, what? Yeah, and an atheist. So, like, he was going to school, doing his thing in the Elizabethan era, right? And uh, he runs off, disappears from school. We find out much later that he's being a spy and stuff, right? He's gone two years. And the reason we know he's being a spy is because when he comes back, the school won't give him his degree. So he goes to the queen and says, Queenie, baby, you need to help me out. And she writes wow. him a letter saying, for invaluable service to the crown, you must give him his degree. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Also, that's some connections right there sure but uh yeah yeah so christopher marlowe way back in the day yeah yeah wow yeah See, i always i was always under the thing i was like was shakespeare a real guy or was it really were plays written by oh well the shakespeare thing what's been okay on the one hand as a poor kid i despite my my zip code my parents never had any money they they, they didn't crack forty thousand a year until i was after 25 and they had five kids wow so we were always like just really broke 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 um the reason i don't have an mfa is because i was scraping together pennies literally lemonade standing it to put money together to go to dvc classes wow yeah no i i had to work really hard uh to get the education that i got yeah so anyway the center of the shakespeare shakespeare argument is a poor kid could never have written that and so i am offended on at my root by this right however classism Totally and completely. However, that being said, because they've done that, one of the things that we found is that, um, A, we are even more sure than ever that Shakespeare was a real human being. We have more evidence of his life than we ever had before. Right. Um, Also, 
what we started doing is understanding that he didn't necessarily, although he wrote probably 80% of what we ascribed to him and stuff, um, other people did write some of it. He also did more collaborations than we originally sure. gave him credit the for. Sure, the sonnets. There's uh, so many sonnets. And there's well, there's 33 plays he wrote in 15 years, and right. several of them are genius level. Right. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I saw, and I haven't been able to find this, so whatever. But I found a, uh, I watched a, a, a documentary that uh, found a school that has a name. A teacher got a check, and that check could have been written to Shakespeare. They're not positive, but the abbreviation is. But in that school's library, um, a lot of Shakespeare's plays were uh, based or plagiarized on other works. Sure. Um, and this one school, they found almost all the plays in one collection. Whoa. Which would also explain, because he would have been in that school for 10 years, having a lot of rough drafts in your book would explain how you could come up with... 32 plays as quickly as he did especially sure. considering the play closest theaters down he wrote all those sonnets yeah i was like well, how could you even i have the complete um all of his works in a big big book that from college it's just really big the complete works of william shakespeare yeah. and it is how could anyone write that much in a lifetime and stephen he, king well okay that's danielle Steele. stephen king yeah that's true well he writes six months on six months off Sometimes he goes. Sometimes he double yeah, fists it yeah, and does two yeah. a year. Yeah, that's crazy. But it's yeah, just, no, it's just so much language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But yeah. So and you're memorizing thing. it. That's so cool. Oh yeah, no, that's all right. Keep it alive. Yeah, no. The, well, you know, one of the, the cool things is is when you follow theater, you follow the story of human beings, right? And uh, any well-written play or any well-written story, regardless of the culture that it's coming from, mm. is going to reverberate with a modern audience, sure. period. You know, um, my, one of my favorite examples following the Western cultures, uh, sort of Silk Road back to Greece, is Lysistrata. Yeah. Is that when the one where they, they withhold the sex? Yes. Yeah, that's a great play. And I wish, and it's like totally could, we could do that right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, uh, for those of you who don't know, Lysistrata is about like a dozen Greek women who get together and decide they're going to stop all the wars by withholding sex from their men. Um, and it's a comedy. And it's hilarious. And, and the funny thing about Greek that people know or don't know is that all the parts were played by men. So it's so funny to have a bunch of women on stage that are played by men. Yay. Well, that was that's, that's, that's one of the places where we have improved. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be fine with Lysistrata being mounted right now with all men. I think that would be edgy and cool and fun. Oh, as far as that goes, yeah, that'd be hilarious. It would be great. Yeah. It would be, I mean, but I wouldn't want to like, the thing about San Francisco is we'd have to like, I mean, it'd be great too to make them like super drag queeny, but then we, I don't want, wouldn't want to make fun of that. I'd want to, cause I, I love drag. I mean, I love the sisters of yeah, perpetual yeah, yeah. indulgence. I love fucking no, the imagine, Oasis. Do you know that? Wait, wait, I'm going to choose. Oh, do you remember that movie Pillow Talk with Doris Day? No. Oh, never mind. Go back to what you're saying. No, I just, I just, I super, I super love drag and yeah, the concepts absolutely. of it and how it twists people's perceptions of what men are supposed to be, what women are supposed to be, the idealized personification of woman as done by man. I think all of that kind yeah. of stuff is performative and important, and we have to look at it in our. So I just, I love drag too. I think. It's oh a lot yeah, of fun. no. Well, drag's also really. Um, evolved since Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, right? You know, oh um, my God. I, 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 I went and saw, um, this is a few years ago, but I saw uh, Carmen Carrera, who is freaking beautiful, confused as a gay boy like nobody else. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. 
I was just like, oh, baby, baby, I don't know where it went to, but you are beautiful. But I also saw Delta Burke, and Delta does a different kind of drag. Uh-huh. Uh, Delta work, excuse me, Delta work. Right. Uh, beard, stout, right? Right. Um, I, I, I saw her come out and uh, dressed as a Mennonite, and... Uh, w- <laughs> And uh, what she was lip syncing to were political speeches. Wow! Uh, by by different women from the '60s and '70s, oh so people my like God. Anita Bryant and stuff, right? That sounds amazing. It really was. It was yeah. one of the coolest freaking things. That's I mean, so don't great. get me wrong. Everybody love loves that. to see the thing that we expect, which is right. the beautiful drag queen lip syncing sure. to. At first, I was afraid. You know right, all that right, stuff, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but but the fact that it has exploded into this art form that is so expressive and allows for so much. Um, I know yeah. a local drag queen whose name is Lady Bear mm-hmm. and it just like huge beard, totally bear, mm-hmm. total bear, mm-hmm. very big, very hairy mm-hmm. and hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, I love drag, no. performative. So Arden of Faversham. of Faversham, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at eight, Sunday at two. Oh, so good. What's the address again? It's on Turk. Two Twenty Golden Gate. Two Twenty Golden Gate Avenue. Two Twenty right. Golden Gate. Avenue. It's just a couple blocks from um, Civic uh, Civic, Civic Center. Civic Center, yeah. yeah really, really Golden close. Gate Avenue. Um, yeah, it's just really, really close. And the show is just a lot of fun. Heather Cherry plays the lead, and um, one of the cool things about this play is there are so few roles for women in. Elizabethan plays because we don't know sure. if this is Shakespeare and that includes Shakespeare um, and there's so few roles especially for women over 40 over 50 oh. um, over 60 Don't I don't know that it. I'm sure there's some old lady I'm sure there's a, a couple old ladies in, sure. in, in, in Shakespeare plays you know we're witches uh, uh, yeah totally in Macbeth yeah um, but here we have this incredibly strong villain character who who is uh, she she's incredibly intelligent but she also is using sex like nobody's business you talked about a hand job i get one in this show (laughs) i mean yeah i can't wait to see yeah well it's just it's got a lot of stuff and then it is it's shakespeare talk yeah yeah is it iambic pentameter a lot of it is Um, okay my for some reason every time i do shakespeare these days i I play a villain boy i don't want to why that but a lot of his villains are a lot of the villains for us speak in prose okay so i don't get the idea I, i don't necessarily i have one Really great, like da 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 da. Sure, sure. Where I get to use my whole Shakespeare voice. Oh yes. You know, oh yes, you know, all that kind of love and stuff. But um, most of the stuff I say is just, yeah. Good. But there is a lot of it in there. There's some poetry. That's one of the things weird about this. You kind of think of like like those rhyming couplets where things rhyme and stuff, right? Right. There's very little of that in this play, and when it pops up, even when it is in iambic pentameter, it's in weird places, like in the middle of the speech. Oh. Yeah, it's in really weird. It's just, it's, it's, it, the play itself is really, there's a lot going on in it. It's an interesting piece. The more you're into Shakespeare and stuff, the more I say, go get the play to read as well. Right. Uh, because it is a fascinating piece. And uh, yeah, definitely, if you're a lady over 50 and you're looking for a monologue, she's got a ton of great work in this. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, everybody, go see it. Nathan Bogner, thank you so thank much you so for much, being Pam. here. It's this so was, good to this see you. great. I haven't seen, the only person I hang out with from high school is uh, the good doctor, Katie Rowe. Oh. But Katie Rowe is now, then became Katie Fields, and now she's Katie Kleiman. So well, hello, Katie. Yeah, she's, I'll say hi to her for you. She's great. I just hung out with her this weekend. We went to a ball game. Oh, that's Yay. hella cool. That's hella cool. Uh, who'd you see? Uh, the 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 Giants lost yeah. to the Yankees. Aww. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, that baseball, whatever. It's performative. It's fun. <laughs> 
I was like, Cracker Jacks, Cracker Jacks. But yeah, I brought my own because they're cheap and they're delicious. Yeah, no, don't buy. Yeah, no. I know. And there's a trick when you go to the ball game. They have 22-ounce beers behind home plate and they're $19.25 a piece. But that's super cheap because Coors Light for a 12-ounce is $14.25. And who wants to drink that swill? So you can get an 8.2 Maximus IPA for $19.25. Wow. Holy cow. Holy cow. That's a, such a steal for the ballpark. It's like. Oh, hell yeah. Everyone, it's ridiculous. You spend $161 on your ticket. I didn't. It was a gift. And, <laughs> and then and then you spend $20 on a ticket, on $20 on a beer. And then you have to use the bathroom. But you pee into a fucking trough with everybody else. I'm like, what is with these $161 okay, this is what I, this, tickets? This, this is the problem. This is the problem. They charge the same price as Broadway, Broadway charges for theater tickets, right? Yeah. But. Ball players make way more money way than actors. Money. Even even Manuel Lind's biggest paycheck was probably that Mary Poppins movie. Yeah. Like just honestly, you know, like most of the time, most of these most of these people out there. Oh my god. Yeah. Blows my mind. I know. I'm losing Blows my mind. mind. Ticket prices. Ticket prices. Yeah, it's crazy. And the bathroom is still gross. And it's like, how can you? Pa- this is so weird. No, you know. Why do we all? We just we've all bought into. this. I just want to see you pee in a trough. <laughs> The eagle here in uh, SF has a a great trough uh, with a mirror right in front of it so that you can actually like kind of look at people's dicks without looking at people's dicks. It's nice. It's like you can glance down at the mirror. It's good. The eagle. It's great. It's on Harrison. Nobody needs to look at a bunch of strangers' dicks. Yeah, well, it's the eagle. I mean, maybe you do. I'm not in charge of your life. No, no. I I got my own things going on. I don't want you to say things about me. Yeah, hey, I'm not trying to. I don't know. I'm so dick-centric. We all are. It's a comedy thing. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, Everybody go it. see this play. I'm going to see it tomorrow night with my boyfriend. It's going to be fun. and be like, let's go be all artsy. Well, just remember, not only is it free, not only is it at 220 Golden Gate Avenue, 8 p.m. curtain, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, 2 p.m. for Sunday. Not only is there Mother's Day a great day to go see it, but if you got a flask, just put it in your pocket. Oh. Like it is a play I have been recommending to for years. Like people, I don't drink anymore. Oh, good for you. Well, whatever. No, I had 1999, and it was such a freaking great year. I tell this. (laughs) That's how I knew I got. We started this conversation with age and stuff. Yeah. The way I knew I was officially no longer young. Let's put it that way, because I wait on old people, and I'm not old yet. Right. But the way I really knew it was my stories. You remember, like, the guys from the 60s that had the really great stories about partying and stuff? Right, and right, right. And stuff, right? And, like, going and having... That's you were me. partying like it was 1999 in 1999. I, that's me now. And they listen to my stories, and they just go... <gasps> They're like, old man, get out of here. How, how did you live through that? And I'm like, oh... Well, you don't even know what Nine Hits Ecstasy in 1999 can do to you. Uh, but now there's those moon rocks and you barely scrape it with your fingernail and then like, ah! <laughs> These kids, I can't handle their kids and their new drugs. It's just, they're just too strong for me. I'm just too old. Yeah, you are. I you can't are. handle it. But you know what? You also don't need the drugs too once you get older. Well, it's like, how many I mean, acid trips fun. can I go on? That's like, literally what I said the other day. I mean, I've already done it. What what new... How many giant purple gorillas need to be hanging out with you while you're chit-chatting, right? Exactly. You know, I mean... You just I, don't get me wrong. You need that a few times, right? In my twenties, and now it's like over it. Like yeah, what? Well, I just what giant truth do. am I going to be? Is going to be revealed? Yeah, you from... know, I, I chased coyote all through New Mexico. I did a bunch of psilocybin out there and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I've done my. I think also some of it is once once you've done it, 
Once you met Coyote, do you need to meet him again? That was a scary experience, right? <laughs> sure. Once you've been to Burning Man four times, you don't need to go back. You've already well, done at it. At that point, it's getting expensive. Yeah, I agree with that, too. Okay, we so much in common. Put your hands together, everybody. Nathan Bogner, go see his show. Thank you so much for listening to Some Call Me Tim today. Thank you to David Stolowitz for talking about the occult. And uh, we'll be back next week with other crazy, awesome interviews. Go see this play. Okay, Ooh. bye! on a raft without a patter. We'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento.